the struggle for power. Three men fighting for the gold. The desperate man, grasping onto his identity, which slowly slips away from his once iron grip. The vengeful man, trying to regain the taste of power, momentarily savored and abruptly lost. And the confident man, ready for battle, at risk of losing nothing, and the opportunity to gain it all. Three men with varying motivations, yet all sharing a common goal. One man will emerge triumphant, while sparing his opponents no mercy. And now, WWF No Mercy. This is uh, Jeff Hardy going through his hat phase, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, he started really lamenting that it's a shame that his brother <laughs> didn't wear a hat because I'm not going to call him Hat Hardy. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and also, it's a pity that Jeff didn't wear a chef's hat because I didn't even Chef Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Welcome once again, this is the Random Wrestling Review and today we have an episode which will signal the end of an era and I guess in some ways the end of season one of the podcast and more on that in just a moment. First of all, however, it falls on me to introduce my co-host for the day. First of all, it's old man Sam Carey. Hello lad. And also we have Tom Smith. (laughs) (laughs) What the listeners didn't see is that you did like a couple of guns. As if you were a Batista coming to an arena. Exactly, exactly. I've been listening to a lot of West Side Gun today. People who know who that is will understand my reference. Not, not Billy Gun. No, no, that was that was yesterday. I'm getting scissored by Daddy Ass. It's amazing. That is the best thing in wrestling at the moment. Is the acclaim to Billy Gun, and to think that Billy Gun is like part of the best thing going on in wrestling at the moment is a testament to his pure athleticism, I suppose. Is Still he the best pure finger scissorer in AEW today? He's got to be. Up there, he's up there with yeah. the greats. He's up there with the, with the acclaimed, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And they're they're acclaimed, so you know, must be good. So before we get going today, although some might argue we already have, let me say this: if you're not following us over on Twitter at IWRPodUK, then it might be a good idea to do so, as that is the place where we provide most of our information in terms of new episodes and upcoming stuff. Talking of upcoming stuff. We have three major announcements to make today that will shake this podcast to its very core. Can you believe it? Three of them. So first, I, I know I know what one of them is. <laughs> well, that's because I've been able to I've been able to drag this out. See, just stick with it. You'll you'll, you'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get it. Don't worry. You'll get it. You'll get it. Firstly, all of our lives have changed quite a lot since we started doing this podcast 22 months ago. 22 months ago, we started doing this. You know what? It's such a shame that when we lived together, we didn't start doing it then because we probably could have been sustained it um, at the pace that we were going at previously much, much longer. Probably, but the problem is you wouldn't have been able to do it because you'd have been too busy not doing the washing up, Tinky. Oh, so that would have been a problem. Oh, fucking <laughs> no. Oh, prick. Oh, fucking prick. 
You know what, as well now, I was just about to say, we have been bashing out fucking episodes left, right, and centre, because we don't have any lives, do we, man? <laughs> I know, it was great, wasn't it? Wasn't it great? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, since then, myself and Tom have both welcomed new life into the world. An old man was, at the time, in his first year of a new degree, trying to, trying to further his prospects and widen his horizons. What's happened since then, obviously, now me and Tom do have both children, both both do have both children. That doesn't make sense. Both have children. Yeah. And on Fine, hang on, hang on. All right, finally, we can finally announce it. Tom and Ben had a child <laughs> by a surrogate, and we pretended it's a different one. Yeah. This time. Yeah, um, but also back then as well, we were still in lockdown, which we forget. We were still in kind of COVID lockdown when we started this whole thing. But what recently happened was the old man received his latest schedule for university, his third year. I assume it's your last year. Is that right, old man? It is. Yeah, my last year of an undergrad. And then we'll see what happens after that. Possibly yeah. sodomy, but we'll see. Well, definitely sodomy. Well, <laughs> yes. Quite, yeah. <laughs> you don't, you, yeah, but he isn't waiting for the end of his degree to get the sodomy. No. Did you know that sodomy doesn't always just mean anal sex? Before you carry on, Tom, why did you say anal sex the way you said it? Anal sex. I said it to Matt then, you know, when he doesn't swear properly. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't mean just smooth sex. You can have oral sodomy as well. Mm-hmm. Did you know that, Tinky? I didn't know that, no. So there you go. A lot of people of have been involved in sodomy than you think. Yeah. Shut up. Anyway, I'm trying to get through me now. Oh, yeah, right. So this was everyone knows the first year of uni is a bit of a ride, but the third year you actually have to knuckle down if you actually have got any kind of uh, ambition to do well. And so old man absolutely rightly is going to take the time to spend on his degree and make sure he gets the result that he's looking for and uh, make the most out of it. So our first announcement is that this today is at least for the time being for the immediate future old man's final episode on the podcast. Tom's already teared up about four uh, times. I was so embarrassed. Go on, McFlair. I thought we I, were going to get the Jerry Lawler sad voice, Tom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know where he's gone. I don't know I can do that. He's not gone yet, Tom. He's still oh, yeah. You can do that one at the end. You can yeah. do that one at the end. <laughs> so, old man, what do you have to say for yourself, you prick? Yeah, you fucking well, turncoat. Well, to be honest, lads, I just wanted to turn heel. Because I've been due a hill turn. And what I want to do is I want to be this generation's big show mm. between 1999 and 2016 or whatever it was, <laughs> when he just turned heel and face every other week. So I'm going to I'm gonna try and get as many turns as I can in, in this episode. This goes to show how deluded old man is that he thinks he hasn't been the heel throughout this entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> but what a great heel. I mean, he doesn't know yeah. it. That's how yeah. good a heel he is. What a brilliant. I'm sorry. Any, any man who loves Valvinus this much. We know Valvinus is a stand-up guy. Can't be a hill. <laughs> well, on that point, you know, actually, I was going to leave this for later, but I've got some Valvinus fact. I've got a little Valvinus fact for you. You might oh. call it. You might call it. Tyrant Faxton of the week. We've had this little running thing about how Valvinus and Dilo Brown had uh, an epic series of matches across time, space, and reality over mm. uh, the Attitude Era. Well, I've done some digging, and I've pulled out the fact that they actually, in the end, only had seven matches against one another, <gasps> and that took place from August 1998 to December 1999, so over about 18 months, effectively. They fought over the European title three times within that period. Damn right, they did. And Dilo Brown came out on top twice, Valvinus once. They also fought each other for the number one contendership to that very belt which they went to a no contest in two minutes 22 seconds on a raw what, in... what a match that was as yeah. well 
Raw in December 99. And they also faced each other on Raw in April of 99 in a, just a bog standard match. There's nothing an bog epic... standard about that, mate. No. Yeah. <laughs> that lasted an epic three minutes and 20 seconds. Perhaps their, their most prestigious match against one another was for the Intercontinental title on Sunday Night Heat, number 53, in mm. August 99, where Val Venus defeated Dealer Brown by disqualification, therefore not quite winning the belt from oh. Dealer. Byron Faxton of the week. Do you know what? I don't know why WWE haven't done a rivalries DVD like this. <laughs> because honestly, there's three copies sold right here, right now. Yeah. And you know what? It won't matter how much they charge, don't it? No. 200 quid for seven matches. Each one, each one with his own DVD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What would be like one of those things, you know, like when it's like, this is not available in the shops. You have to phone up this yeah. number. Like you used to get those 10 CDs, uh-huh. mega hits of the 80s things advertised <laughs> during, during daytime TV back in the 90s. Be like, this is not available in shops because no one will buy it, apart from the three of us. So oh. buy it. You get your seven seven disc collection. Val Venus was Dino Brown. What an 18 months. The best yeah. 18 months in professional <laughs> wrestling, I'd say. Hey, it, it could it coincide with some of the most commercially successful periods of, of WWE's history, so you can't argue with it. Kind of well, be not surprised. Yeah, it's not a coincidence. It's not. It's a valid incidence. <laughs> <laughs> so I did say we had three major announcements. Tom was kind of surprised by that, but I'll get on to the other two now. The second major announcement. Can we drop like it, a bomb after that in post-production? Thing is like a maybe if I can be bothered, maybe. Like so, uh, Tim Westwood. No, no, not like Tim Westwood. <laughs> like fuck Master Flex. That's better. So secondly, as a consequence of Old Man going, we've got to make some changes. So you may have noticed that at the beginning of this year, Tom obviously went to a kind of alternating episode schedule where he did one every two weeks. And that was obviously because his life has changed as well. Matt came in and he was alternating with um, Tom and me and old man were covering all the all the episodes still. Then as the year progressed, we decided to try and figure out ways in which we could each have a week off every now and again. And then we brought Stephen in who would do one episode every month to give us a little bit more time off. But because old man is now going, we can't cover all of our slots anymore. Not only that, but as you know, my life has changed as well quite a bit. So we are dropping down to going fortnightly as a podcast from here on in that'll give everybody a little bit of breathing space it'll give me a chance to not be thinking about the podcast pretty much every waking second that i'm not spending doing other more important things and there aren't that many more important things let's be honest so we're going to go down to fortnightly from this week so we won't have an episode next week but we will have one the following week which brings me to my third announcement of the day which is Perfect. Now I don't have to put the uh, sound effect in in post-production. The third announcement is that we thought we needed to mark the second phase of the podcast in a different way. So what we're going to do, we're still going to be called The Random Wrestling Review, obviously. And I thought, actually, we're going to something now where we're doing a sequence of shows. But that in itself is relatively random, given that we've never done that before. And it's going to start from episode 90, which makes no sense. So still perfectly random, which means we can retain our random nature. And from the next episode onwards, we will be covering every single WrestleMania that's ever taken place. In order, we've already done WrestleMania 1, so we'll be starting with WrestleMania 2 in two weeks' time. But next Sunday, 
I will be reposting our WrestleMania one review so that anybody who joins the podcast at this point can then listen to them in order as if we'd done them all without having done the five that would sit sorry the six we've already done you sure we can't convince Matt to watch WrestleMania one again (laughs) (laughs) I I think I probably could but I'm not sure I want to I also watch WrestleMania one so you know and we we reviewed it in in April or March whatever it was so yes well I will repost that episode next Sunday and then the following Sunday, we will be covering WrestleMania 2. So those are all the announcements out of the way. Big time, big changes, podcast going in a different direction. But we're not going to talk any more about the future because we have the current sadness to wallow in of Old Man's final episode <laughs> before we do that. Pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what wallowing sounds like. Hang on, was it wallowing or Rick Wallowing? <laughs> well, I, I don't know who that is. He's so. the guy you don't from know who Rick uh, Waller is. Pop Idol, the big big bloke. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. No, so he lovely voice. He was meant to be doing a series of gigs, and I can't remember the town is meant to be happening. Let's say Margate. I don't think it was Margate, but he had like a theatre that had been booked out for a gig. Lovely, lovely. Enjoy it, Rick. They had to cancel it. Because he sold seven tickets, I think it was. And then he had to cancel this whole tour due to poor ticket sales. And so he did have a lovely voice. What police still has? Apparently, he was an utter cunt. <laughs> a really horrible cunt, by all accounts. He might have been, but he did have two hit singles. Don't don't look it up. Can you remember or guess what they were? Because they were both covers. So, oh man, you might know more because Tom's shaking his head. Old oh man, got any idea? I'm going to say Unchained Melody and Oh Bloody Eck. No, that's definitely not Oh Bloody Eck. That was not. Oh, God, that's a cracking song as well, that. Oh, oh. Bloody Eck. Oh, bloody Eck. <laughs> Oh bloody yeah, yeah yeah. Oh, Interesting that Tom's is like a yeah. you know quite a cool little uh, disco number, whilst old man seemed to be from some guy up north. <laughs> yes, a Yorkshireman falling down a well. <laughs> oh bloody yeah. Tom, what were your guesses? Uh, I'm going to go with you are always on my mind and unt- no, you said untuned, <laughs> untuned <Yeah>. melody. <laughs> so, so that bloke who's like Cabris on the <laughs> Um, and the other one I'm going to go for is uh, Eternal Flame. <laughs> so they were you were both incorrect. His second single was a cover of Something Inside So Strong. It went to. Uh, <laughs> I do remember that. It was a terrible video as well. Is that is that the song? Is that the song that Barry from EastEnders sang as well? Yes, yes, I think it, I think it is. At, yeah. at Joe Biden's inauguration. <laughs> oh, that cut. Have we told this story on the podcast before? No, but uh, probably, but uh, say it again. Me, uh, old man, and friend of the show, Kurt, were sat in in the in my garden, having a couple of beers, and he was like, "Isn't it weird that um, Barry from EastEnders sang at Joe Biden's inauguration?" <laughs> and me and you know, old man were like, "What?" Or Jude was like, "Yeah, yeah, he like sang it," and I was really like, "No, he didn't. There's no way that happened." <laughs> and he's like, "No, no, he did." And he pulls up this video, and it's very well done, I must say. But it's he sang that song, something inside so strong, at the beginning of a bowls tournament. And then what <laughs> someone had done is just clipped together clips from him singing at the bowls tournament, which is inside, might I add, and then clips of Joe Biden's inauguration, which was outside. And he believed that it was actually happened. I mean, what? I mean, I mean imagine if it did. That would have been phenomenal. But that's the song that he sings. And whenever I hear it, it just makes me think of that. It's absolutely glorious. This is this is like when I constantly updated. I think it was I think it was Snow Patrol's uh, Wikipedia page very regularly to say that Snow Patrol had performed Run 
at WrestleMania 20. No, we we initially did it, and it was the Pigeon Detectives. Oh, Pigeon Detectives, that's the bonus. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. It. it was one of, one of them terrible guitar bands from the mid 2000s. Yeah. Light up, light the thing is, is that as, as crazy as it would, as crazy mad as it would be of Joe Biden having Sean Williamson, I think is his name. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. At his at his inauguration, it's also kind of weird that the bowling tournament would have him oh, open yeah. up the fucking tournament with something inside so strong. The man, so he's was, not necessarily known. For for singing as no, far as i'm aware no he, he did do some singing on eastenders and uh, we are currently i just thought i'd update you on classic eastenders which i'm watching still mm. on drama we're now up to about 2001 and he's just turned 40 that's one of the recent stories that'll, that'll be that'll probably be around about the time when i was when i was watching i reckon it's also around about the time of the show recovering today which is wwe's no mercy 2001 from oh, yeah, I, similar sort of period so, sorry we, we used to go back to sean williamson we can't go off track <laughs> we've got to go back to rick water at some point well right? i want to know yeah. the second I need to know what his second, his first single was. Yeah, we're getting there. So, Sean, that Sean Williamson clip. The reason why I know that that's the thing is because I watched it live. (laughs) You're watching the balls. Yeah, it was like a Tuesday afternoon or something, and I must have been off work. Yeah, just put it on, and then Sean Williamson was halfway through singing. Don't act like you just turned it on in the off chance that there might be something interesting on a TV. You set an alarm specifically <laughs> and took the day off to make sure you could watch the whole event, including Sean Williamson's fucking rendition of Something Inside So Strong. I'll tell you this, right? I'd love it if... Sorry, hang on. No. Um, Bowls is absolutely brilliant to watch. The trouble is, is that it's so fucking slow. That's my issue with the old bowls. It's not like curling. Curling's a fast-paced, wild sport, whereas the bowls is like it's just a bit too slow for me. Well, let's try and get back to where we came from and start first of all with Rick Waller. So his mm-hmm. first single, which got to number six in the charts, I should say something inside so strong got to number twenty-five. His first single, number six, "I Will Always Love You." Of course it was. In Houston cover March 2002 I I do remember that particular series of Pop Idol quite well actually I watched pretty much the whole thing gotta be honest but he was I think he made the final 10 but then had to bow out through illness or something Mm. so he never uh, he never got they never got to see if he would win or not. Do you know who won that series? Yeah, Will Young. Will Young. So, yeah, that was him and Gareth Gates. And Darius, who also just passed away, of course. Yeah, did, God rest his soul. Yeah, because that, that was the first the first season, and that was when old um, Nasty Nigel said that Kim Marsh was overweight, didn't he? Horrible pun. Which I think we've mentioned on here ah, before. Ah, no, that's different. That was that's Pop Stars, pop star. which, was, which was before Pop Idol. And when they had to make a group, that's where Liberty yeah. X and Hearsay came from. Look That's right. Look at this absolute brilliant trivia when it comes to terrible television from the yeah. early 2000s. No, 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 we didn't have we didn't have Netflix. You know, we couldn't watch what we ever wanted to mind. We watched the shit that was served up to us. So I listened to uh, another podcast earlier, and I went great. I wouldn't let them know which one it was. But they they, they said um, they were talking about crap TV shows that used to be on Sundays. And can anybody remember Boone? It used to be on. <laughs> yeah, with a guy who just turned up in loads of stuff. Just with yeah. short black hair. He was like a poor man's Bergerac. Well, and David I was Morrissey. say that. David yeah. Morrissey was on it as well. Morrissey. And he says, here, here's it, here it is. It resolved, it's on Wikipedia. It revolved around the life of an ex-fireman called Ken Boone, a motorcycle-obsessed small-time businessman who, <laughs> at the same time, acts as a private investigator, bodyguard, and general troubleshooter. <laughs> 
I, t- I, t- <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you what, it's funny how no matter what happens in crime, that the only people who can solve the really tricky ones are the amateur sleuths who have yeah. other full-time jobs. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But it, it, not only that, but he's, yeah, he's a motor, and he's got an obsession with motorbikes as well. It sounds like something, it sounds like something Alan Partridge would write, would write in there. Yeah. <laughs> you had him, and then you had Lovejoy. Oh, crime-fighting antiques dealer. Yeah, and who else? Oh, well, 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 well you, you obviously had Lansbury. Yeah, in um, I was just about to say, in Some Mothers Do Have Them, but that's a completely <laughs> different show. <laughs> oh, See, Betty, there's been a murder. <laughs> See, I, I always used to think that it was Murder, She Wrote, but it's Murder, She Wrote. There's a, there's a comma in there, and you have to find where the comma's supposed to be, because I don't believe it's in the television graphic. But no, murder, murder, she wrote, is not right. It's murder, she wrote. Murder, she wrote. What about that so, reggae song as well? Murder, she wrote. Murder, she wrote. Is this the Yorkshireman doing reggae now? <laughs> yes, Neil Warnock. So, thankfully, we don't have a topic to, to discuss today. Otherwise, this podcast may be the longest thing ever. We do, however, have a celebratory game that we will do at the end of the show, back in its traditional spot. He's in the bowl, finally! <laughs> so... <laughs> We are here today to cover WWE No Mercy 2001, and I guess it's only right that we get your expectations for this one. Old man, let's start with you. It's pretty up for this, because uh, it's obviously about six months removed from WrestleMania 17. So I do know that the um, the, the little drop-off has started. I know that, because WrestleMania 17 was very much the peak of, well, peak or end of the Attitude Era, depending on how you look at it. I knew there was going to be a little drop-off, but I did also know that we get Hill Austin in his uh, alliance phase, which I fucking loved. So I was pretty pretty much looking forward to it. Couldn't think of any cunts on the undercard, but I didn't care. The uh, the Attitude Era. Let's just quickly talk about that, because mm. if it's accepted that the Ruthless Aggression Era, that nonsense, started in 2002, around about, I don't know, SummerSlam, let's say. Let's just say that. Maybe, maybe just after WrestleMania, I don't know, but somewhere around there. And that we accept that the Attitude Era ended at WrestleMania 17. This is in a little kind of vacuum of the time. The invasion angle almost stands alone in its own mm. little period of six months. The invasion era? Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you can have an era which lasts six months. But anyway, Tom, if, what were if your anybody, If anybody could have a six-month-long era, it's WWE. That's true. <laughs> Tom, what were your expectations? I definitely knew I wouldn't have seen this before. But Kurt Angle was on the poster, and that was a positive for me. Because I don't feel like I've watched that much Kurt Angle whilst over the lifespan of this podcast. So I was looking forward to that. Like old man said, I knew it was going to be Heal Austin, um, and it was going to be Invasion Era Austin, or Alliance Austin. So I was very much looking forward to that. I tell you what I wasn't expecting, though. I wasn't expecting to find a newer member of the Bins Brigade. Ooh. I find one. And you How will exciting. find out who that is a little bit later. Looking forward to that, no doubt about it. <laughs> oh, it's all happening today. We've got bins, we've got the game, we've already had a Byron Faxon of the week. Maybe old man's got one prepared up his sleeve, maybe Just... not. Doesn't matter, we've already had it, doesn't matter. All the old features coming back tonight. They are. Maybe, maybe we'll try and do a Luke Gallows podcast within a podcast as well. Oh, oh well, we kind of did about Rick Water. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. The Rick Waller podcast and our podcast. Okay, my expectations were, yeah, I was really up for this. We haven't watched 2001 WWE at all so far on the podcast. We did do Sin earlier this year, which is a WWE pay per view from the same year. But yeah, we, this is the first visit to WWE in 2001 we've done, and yeah, really up for it. It was a period where I watched avidly, although 
I also remember this little period, so another era within an era, this era of the invasion angle, this period, I guess, really, this these couple of months within the invasion angle between SummerSlam and Survivor Series, my memory is very hazy of what the hell went on. Um, I, probably, probably, well, yeah, yeah. Very much yeah. so. Yeah, probably. So I was really looking forward to this, and I wasn't absolutely convinced that I saw this at the time, which is weird, and I don't know why I would have missed it. Again, probably pissed, don't know. But um, certainly I was looking forward to seeing what was going to come out of this. And certainly what I think of as the invasion angle in particular is not necessarily, yes, okay, the invasion itself as a whole wasn't particularly great. But the talent they had in the promotion at the time was almost, I don't think it's ever been better. I just think the talent pool was just incredible at that time. And just incredible was kind of there as well. So that's lovely. That is out standing and that's the reason to keep listening even when i've gone yes just just for things like that yeah and also yeah. tom and his tan so listeners <laughs> won't be able to see this yeah. but my goodness tom has got a tan and we've no none of us even tom has no idea where it's come from no it may be jaundice it may just be very flattering light in the kitchen which think about this because if you look at this wall i've got a lovely peach colored wall next to me so mm. it may be radiating off of that that's probably it i think i think the only way to tell is if you get your bollocks out Oh, they're very dark. <laughs> they're yeah. very dark indeed. And the podcast is just taking a turn for the dark as well. Yeah. And yeah, you get smart and it's like two conkers hanging there. It's like, hang on, what's happened here? You're like, no, I just like to start to get them in the sun as often as I can. It's um it's it's like recharging. It's good for you. Good good for your chakras. <laughs> so um, talking points for WWE No Mercy 2001. Yes, we are covering No Mercy 2001 and we are trying to get to it <laughs> amongst all of the nonsense that we're usually spouting. Um, Tom, have you got any, why don't you pull out what you want to pull out from the show? Yeah, go on. Oh, my bollocks. Yes. <laughs> yes I'm going to go left field now. Something you guys may not have heard of. I'd like to talk about Dwayne Douglas Johnson, also known as The Rock. Mm. Oh, yeah. Similar to what we were saying about all the, what I was saying about Kurt Angle. I don't know what his middle name is. Hang on a second. <laughs> I think it's, I, I think it's, is. <laughs> Kurt's, Kurt's, Kurt's angular testicles. Um, <laughs> Kurt Stephen Angle. I, I haven't, don't feel like I've seen that many matches with The Rock in. At least comparatively. At least compared to the chap that he's fighting. Uh, so, yeah, that's true. Well, when you consider The Rock, his career, the length of his career, and the fact that he only ever worked for WWE, that's going to be the reason why. Yes, exactly. And the fact that yeah, he was all like four years full time, five years maybe at that. What, what you'd say, like 97. Well, he joined in 96, didn't he? And he was remained full time until what, 2002? 2001, okay. So he went, he'd gone yeah. away, hadn't he, after WrestleMania 17. So that's right, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk about it. Like watching The Rock wrestle now feels really strange. I find it I find it really really weird because I'm so not used to seeing him wrestle. I'm so used to seeing him as Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the actor and stuff. And it very much makes me think that we as wrestling fans don't really give him the amount of respect that he desires as an in-ring performer because he is absolutely fantastic. In this match, his first start, his selling is magnificent. He's a, an amazing seller, but and it, sometimes you you see like compilations of him selling stunner and it can look a little bit hokey or whatever. But everything that he does is so good and he does everything he can to make his opponents look as good as they possibly can do. And that's shown in this match by a Jericho who admittedly is quite good in this match as well. But I think the rock helps him massively look really good because everything that he hits everything that he hits the rock with the rock sells 
beautifully and makes Chris Jericho look really strong. And I'm thinking at this time of Chris Jericho, uh, The Rock's a superstar. Chris Jericho is a upper mid-carder. And The Rock makes Chris Jericho look 100% like his equal in this match. Not so that Jericho doesn't do good stuff in it, but it is very much uh, a masterclass, in my opinion, from The Rock in, in getting someone to the next level. Now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys might know this more than me, but had Jericho already won a world championship at this point? No, no, he hadn't. So again, that just solidifies my point there. I think that he really, really does an amazing job at, at making Chris Jericho into into a star. The, the Rock's moves all look believable as well, apart from his appalling sharpshooter, which he puts on in the match, which is truly dreadful. And there's one bit, one bit where The Rock turns into Kenta Kabachi and just starts absolutely lacing up Jericho's <laughs> chest with some machine gun fire chops in the corner. And he does a lovely chin lock. And it's a, a nice, lovely long chin lock in the middle of the match to really, to really hammer things home. But the, the crowd are really into this match. This is for the WCW title. The crowd are fucking so up for this match, and I was as well because I started watching. I was like, oh, well, I'm not sure about this, but they got me. They got me going in the match, and they got me, got me getting more and more excited. And I, just, I thought this match was really good, and the fact that um, the Rock ends up getting kind of screwed out of the match. In fact, Tinky, do you want to run through the end? Yeah, so the match goes for a 24 minutes. Do your minutes. bloody job, Tinky. Yeah, sorry about that. So the match goes for nearly 24 minutes. Um, it ends when basically Stephanie turns up, Stephanie Man turns up, and throws a chair in the ring and gets on the ring apron. Jericho then runs towards her and kind of pushes her off awkwardly. It's a bit strange. I don't really know what happened there, whether that was a botch or not. Anyway, Stephanie goes down off of the ring apron. Then she gets back up on the ring apron and Rock throws Stephanie in the ring and Rock bottoms her. Jericho then hits a full nascent Nelson face buster on a chair behind the ref's back. And Jericho then gets the pin. Um, after the match, the Rock confronts Jericho with the chair and hands him it as if to say, well done, you beat me with a chair. I too agree uh, tom it's very strange to see the rock wrestling now and not only that he's leaner than he yeah. has been in recent years i don't know whether that is a consequence of i, I saw a video of the rock on facebook actually a, a week or so ago where he was talking about how when he first went to hollywood he was told to stop going to the gym and stop being really buff and i don't know whether that, that his physique at this time is a consequence of him of him starting to do that or not but certainly he looks leaner at this point. I thought that occasionally he was a little sloppy during this match, but I still thought he was great because what he lacks in technical precision, he makes more than makes up for in absolutely incredible athleticism and just charisma, just presence. He just stands there and people react to him. But also he's just he's throwing himself all over the place during this whole match. This one bit where he gets chucked over the top rope and he falls into the ring barrier. He's constantly like coming off of the ropes with like full pelt clotheslines, but jumping through the air at the same time. He's just he's just absolutely working his ass off all the way through. And I thought it was a very, very good match. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought that my memory of Chris Jericho versus The Rock is the one that they had at Vengeance, which is in two months after this time when Jericho then beats The Rock and Austin in the same night. And I've always been very critical of that match. And I made me think maybe I should go back and watch that again and see if actually it's as bad as I thought it was, because this was actually really decent. I also, I did not realise that the match was like 24 minutes long. It did not feel like that at all in the match. There's one other thing I wanted to quickly uh, like touch on before. And I think Old Man will probably discuss this a little bit later. But there's a bit where Chris Jericho puts the walls of Jericho on the rock. And the rock's in it for quite a long time and doesn't tap. 
And there's a bit where JR comments that he's not that Jericho hasn't got it on properly because he can't clasp his hands together, mm. um, which means he can't get the right amount of leverage on it. Then hence why the Rock is able to sustain or stay in that spot for so long. I thought that was great, and I thought it was great commentary. And I think they have a great night as well. But again, we'll probably discuss this later. But I thought this match was great. The finisher, Tinky, could make it easier by just calling it a skull-crushing finale, which is what it is. And I like the fact that that was the end as well, because it wasn't a typical finisher. You know, it was it, it, it makes sense that Jericho would use that moment to be opportunistic and hit an unorthodox move in order to get the Rock's head slammed into the chair and able to pin him. And also, one last note, the Rock gives him the chair at the end and Jericho starts celebrating with it. Look, he's there, he's got a chair in one hand, belt in the other. Yeah, it's amazing. Go on, Jericho. <laughs> and go on, old man. I think I'm in the minority here because I thought this was absolutely fine, but never, ever got above that. I do agree that I did not realise it was 24 minutes, so I will give them credit for that. But I just never got into it. I agree that it is quite odd seeing The Rock. So I watched this match with my girlfriend. She said that he's probably a better actor than a wrestler, but this is the only match she's seen. I did explain that, obviously, if she's seen some stuff before and a bit of stuff after, she'd probably think differently. But go back to the start. So... I find the crowd very interesting in this because they're very split on the rock. They're very, some of them are very much for him. Some of them are against him. And what I found quite striking is that none of them were for or pro Jericho. What they were was they were pro or anti rock. And I, I think that what happens at the end with the chair, I think that kind of helps a little bit, helps Jericho a little that it kind of gives him his moment but i also did not like the finish i don't think there's any fucking need for it to be honest i don't know why stephanie's there there's no mention of her by the commentary team who is Heyman and jim ross who are absolutely outstanding throughout the whole show there's no mention of stephanie she just comes out from nowhere i know that there is the whole uh, alliance thing is still going on so i kind of get that but I found it all very strange. And up to that point in the match, I just thought it was okay. But I think it suffers because of what comes before it. Because, and we'll get to this when we cover the match, like The Undertaker Booker T is exactly the same. It's a perfectly tidy match. It's not bad at all. It's well, pretty good, to be honest. A bit like, this is pretty good, but it's not. It doesn't really hit any heights. It's very level, middle-of-the-road stuff. They try a few things. So, like, Jericho does the rock bottom, which garners an enormous pop from the crowd. The crowd absolutely love that. There's a lovely spot with the um, Walls of Jericho spot that you mentioned, Tommy, where the rock goes to do the people's elbow. And he runs in and then Jericho grabs his leg, which I thought was absolutely lovely. Mm -hmm. But then he puts on the Walls of Jericho and it's a terrible looking move. And it's particularly bad. But this has come after the rock spot on the sharpshooter. So we're just in a barrage of crap. (laughs) <laughs> crappily applied submission moves the trouble is with the rocks one here is that he cinches it in all right well sorry he cinches the legs in all right if he sat down a bit would have been absolutely fine i mean not Bret Hart level come on let's be honest but he's basically it's like he's hovering above a toilet so that he doesn't touch the toilet seat because it's a public toilet <laughs> and he's having a dump because he's like refusing to sit back on it see this is where i actually differ with you about it because if you look oh, yeah. at where the rock is quite low, the problem is he doesn't cinch in properly around the legs. Because what you need, like the ankles are by the rock's elbow when he's doing it. So there's too much leg 
It's too much leg yeah. on this. Need, that leg <laughs> needs to be tucked further back. He needs to have like the opponent's knees kind of wrapped around his arms, and then he can really go back. It's not good. You know what? I I think this is about something else that I pulled out of this match when I was watching it. Is that I think this is about the fact that Rocky's too big to do the sharpshooter. He's too tall, mm. and yeah, most they, of his they, opponents are too small when he does it on them. So basically, because he's too tall, he, he's got to get. He's either got to sacrifice leg not being in the right place. Or not getting low enough. So he's got one or the other has got to happen because he's too mm. tall to put it on properly. And what really stuck out to me in this match was the size difference between The Rock and Chris Jericho, which mm. I found really stark, even though obviously we've seen it many times before. It really struck me how big The Rock is mm. when I was watching this match. Jericho looks tiny compared to him. And then you watch now. And I think if I watch something from, say, 2017, when Jericho was still in the WWE, he doesn't look tiny anymore. No, that's not. He hasn't hasn't grown any taller. That's because I think wrestlers in general are just not as big these days. And The Rock is just a massive guy. Yeah. It really, really stuck out to me how how big he was, which is which fed into that thing about his athleticism. Because the guy's massive and yeah, he's still Mm -hmm. throwing himself all over the place. It really, really stood out to me that did. Oh, man, I'm surprised that you didn't pick out the fact that this is all about Chris Jericho and whether or not he can win the big one. Oh, <laughs> See, the problem is, is that I think that actually works for the match because of who he's fighting. Because he's fighting the Rock, like he's fighting a now unsaid, but he, we're part-time Rock here. Like he's in his phase where he's going to be putting people over left, right, and centre because he's a fucking champ. And I think that the thing with the, I'm glad you, I didn't write that down. That my one issue with that, can he win the big one? Can he win the big one? Yeah, but not really because he needed outside interference to help him. And I thought that this is very much with the benefit of hindsight, but I thought that it really took away from it, the finish. I didn't particularly like it. I feel like they could have got there with a roll up and a grab of the ropes or something like that, or a grab of the tights. I can't imagine the rocks, the kind of guy who wants to protect himself either. But overall, I thought this was okay. The other thing I would say is that also, it's not really the big one, is it? Hmm. It's a WWE title. In WWF. But I think obviously fitting, not the big one. But I think fitting that Jericho won the WWE title at least. You know, I think probably he would have he would have wanted to do it. You know, before yeah. it got unified, I think he would have wanted to win the WWE mm. title. I have a question unrelated to title belts. Jericho's tights, dragonflies or weed leaves? I can't say, but I noticed them particularly. So apologies. So well, because they look like the X leggings. I don't know why he's got them on. They're weird. They're really weird. I feel like, I feel like that, that really took away from it as well. But I also, Tommy made this point, I think Jericho's actually pretty bloody good in this. For 2001 Jericho, for sloppy Jericho, I think he's pretty good in this. I know he's against The Rock. The Rock is seamless, just absolutely no problems whatsoever. A lovely old job. But I think Jericho does a really good job here in, in having a decent match. I, I agree. I agree. And I hmm. think... My my criticism of him has always been that when it really matters, he doesn't step up. Now, I think given this is not the main event and it's for the WW world title, it, it's not got the same pressure on him and he delivers. I think when it came to vengeance, 
where he won the world title, was in the main event, beat Rock and Austin. He massively struggled to, to hit the heights that he wanted to hit. But I agree. I thought he was very good here. This, I wanted to address the Stephanie thing as well, though, because I think you're right. I don't understand why Stephanie's there. And I also yeah. think that this kind of bleeds into what happens in the main event with Vince as well. There's no real explanation as to what the hell's going on in these two situations. I think they just generally wanted to create a little bit of intrigue around who was on whose side going into Survivor Series, because that was obviously the end of the alliance. Sorry, the end of the invasion and therefore the end of the alliance. And there's all going into that. There's all this talk about someone being a mole on one side or the other. So I, I think that's all that's about. But certainly Stephanie's presence here doesn't make a whole lot of sense since these are two WWE guys as well. Neither are in the alliance. So it's strange. Mm, it's very strange. And like it's almost like Jim Ross in particular didn't know it was going to happen because he's kind of a, a loss to how to explain it. Mm. Like even he's he's not got anything in his back pocket. He's a fucking pro JR. Old good old missionary JR is a pro. But <laughs> but you know what? I ain't gonna complain because as much as I've said that I didn't feel like this match really hit the heights, I think there's expectation involved in that. And also I would have taken all the shows that we've covered, I would have taken this match on any of them. <laughs> Lovely old job. So old man, what's your final talking point? <laughs> Put simply, the big show. <laughs> so, Going out with a bang. So we've got the Dudley Boys versus the Big Show into Jerry. Dudley Boys very much in their absolute pair of cunt heel fees. Oh, Bubba Ray obviously is not really a problem for him. Big Show, he's so slim and he's in such good shape. I was mesmerised. I was absolutely mesmerised. Tajiri is Tajiri. And I just, all I could think when I was watching this, I don't actually probably that's about six minutes or something like that. Why didn't we see more of these guys? This is like the perfect tag team because the <laughs> big show looks motivated. He's in, like I said, he's in great shape. He's running the ropes. He's doing all the things that you basically never saw him do. The referee gets the mist in his face. It's just great. It's just great. I was just totally taken aback by the fact that the big show was in such good shape. And he makes the Dudleys look really quite good when he's in the room with them, I think, because he's properly selling when he needs to. He's not selling too much, which has always been a bit of a problem with the big show, I think. And then he sells people's punches like he's getting hit by a truck sometimes. But I just thought, you know what? That was pretty bloody good. And Rhino turns up towards the end as well. I was happy. So yeah, the match goes nine and a half minutes. It's for the tag team titles, the WWF tag team titles, I should stipulate. And the Dudley boys win when they hit Tajiri with a 3D. Uh, But yes, Rhino does uh, enter in and gores Big Show out of the ring prior to the end of the Mm. match. Uh, Tom, what did you think of it? I thought this was all right. This match, I wouldn't say that I was as transfixed on the Big Show as uh, <laughs> as old man evidently was, but I come and notice on this. I think the Dudley Boys quite interesting in this phase because they do the exact same stuff that they do when they're baby faces. But Bubba Ray is such a cunt that they're able to be heels, and I was like, do you know what? That's mm-hmm. almost admirable. You know, um, I also noted that I reckon Devon must be really good mates with Tajiri because he sells everything for him as well he like properly takes a good old shellacking from old Taji in, in this one <laughs> <Taji>. and, <laughs> and he loves it the kind of the, there's a little bit of a story in this match as well which kind of caught me off guard a little bit in that the Dudley boys are a tag team and Big Show and Tajiri aren't so they for a lot of the matches have got the upper hand now I know WWE tag matches tend to go that the heels dominate 
and you know, so on and so forth. But that's kind of what happens. There's a lovely bit of commentary where J.R. refers to the corner turnbuckle as the town square of Dudleyville. <laughs> it was great the strange image though is the big show waiting on the outside of the ring for a hot tag it's just yeah. a bizarre thing to see really really weird to see but it was just de- a decent enough tag match the one thing i did like as well is that bubba ray as soon as he went runs straight over to paul Heyman on commentary and starts like celebrating with him which i thought i was like do you know that you would wouldn't you do you know what I mean if like your boss or a member of your team or whatever was doing that you probably would run over and start celebrating but yeah a decent decent match decent match not not bad tag little, little tag match at all my main takeaway from this is that oh man you're right it's a shame we didn't get more of tajiri and big show because that would have meant that we'd have a tajiri big show mashup theme to to oh, well yeah. their entrance. that would be excellent but we don't unfortunately get that i didn't i didn't know as much about big show either if i'm perfectly honest i didn't uh like I was, you know like yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe obviously we're just not, you know, on the ball as you are. But what I, what I do did like is that we got to see Tajiri because Tajiri, I think outside of D'Lo Brown, is possibly my favorite ever wrestler. I absolutely love Tajiri, everything about him. He doesn't do, he runs through his spots. I mean, that's what everyone does in WWE, right? They run through yeah. their spots and then they, they go home. But his spots are super over, in particular the tarantula. It just never fails to get a reaction. It's just so over. And so is the handspring back elbow off the rope as well. Just wonderful. And and his kicks, just lovely stuff. Absolutely great. Loved to see Interjury. It was all right. It was it wasn't a bad match at all. I I I'd give it slightly over average. It went nine and a half minutes, which is quite long for a big show match. I agree though, old man. I think it's the best place for him, tag team wrestling. Mm-hmm. I do I think it, it, it they should have had him in tag teams more often. I know in the end he did have some tag teams, you know, because he had he was obviously with Jericho and he was with the Miz, so they certainly kind of got there eventually. But this is definitely where he where he belongs because he's not a superb wrestler. He's never a major I wouldn't say he was ever a draw particularly, um, especially after his time in WCW. But as a as a kind of attraction alongside a, another wrestler in, in tag team matches that people are into i think he could have worked very very well much more regularly than he ended up doing it and also so if him and Tajiri had had a lovely six months together and then you're like you know what we could do a turn in you know big show turns on to jerry crowd of fucking eat him alive it absolutely eat his asshole <laughs> <laughs> lovely speaking of assholes you know, you know the old bubba bomb like the atomic mm. drop into a, a into a four nelson into a tom drop shouldn't that be called the bubba drop because there's not there's nothing bomb about it it's, it's a drop isn't it it's an atomic it, drop not a... this is you having a problem with the naming convention of the moves isn't it mm. like i was thinking about this the other week because who was it we had all oh, pretty wonderful in their match in wcw it's uh paul roma and paul what paul orndorff and it made me for some reason it made me think about the mega powers and then the ultra maniacs and the mega maniacs mm. and i was like Right, so the Mega Powers, then you've got the Ultramaniacs. So I'm like, they don't they don't fit. But if I say the Ultramaniacs, that's Ultimate Warrior and Macho Man, then the Mega Maniacs, that should be Hogan and Macho Man again. Yeah. <laughs> because Mega is surely from Hogan's branch. And it, and I don't know why, but that <laughs> really annoyed me the other day. I was like, why didn't they ever make it make sense? Why didn't they just have these names make more sense? Well, the Mega, Mega Powers doesn't really make much sense. No, true. Because I would have thought that Mega would have been off from Machaman some things and Powers would be Hogan. He was the more powerful of the two. Yeah, but they obviously had this theme because they had the Ultra Maniacs and the Mega Maniacs as well. Mm. So I just wanted them to make it make sense and they didn't. And you're going down a similar alley with this. You're kind of like, he's not a power. A bomb is when you're on your back 
and a yeah. drop is when you're on your bottom. So yeah. surely it should mm-hmm. be a drop. Bottom. Exactly. So my talking point is probably the thing I think most people were thinking about and talking about at the time that this show took place, which was Rob Van Dam and the fact that he did not win the main event. So the main event sees Stone Cold Steve Austin defending the WWE title against Kurt Angle and Rob Van Dam in a triple threat match. It goes for 15 minutes. And it, there's quite a busy ending to it, but ultimately what happens in the end is Austin stuns Rob Van Dam and gets the pin after a lot of nonsense with Vince McMahon as well as Angle. But the big, as I said, the big talking point really was Rob Van Dam coming out of this not having won the title because going into it, he was unquestionably on a absolute tear. His momentum was through the roof. People were going mad for a Rob Van Dam. And there was genuinely a very big kind of feeling that he should go in win the belt and WWE should make him as a as a top star um, and they never went there in the end and I think that is a missed opportunity but possibly one that was missed because of the fact that WWE had already taken a left turn on the road to Survivor Series thanks to or as a as a consequence in some ways or as a response to in some ways the whole September 11th thing that took place and then Kurt Angle winning the world title Unforgiven as a as a kind of parallel it's kind of supposed to be like an American celebration type thing when Kurt Angle beat Austin in the main event of Unforgiven a month previous to this and it was obviously a kind of diversion because they gave the title back to Austin like a couple of weeks later so they obviously had no intention really of giving Angle them out and I wonder whether that's why it never happened but whatever the case I really felt coming out of this that this was a missed opportunity and they should have given Rob Van Dam the belt because after this, he was never as popular again. That Unforgiven pay-per-view before was in Pittsburgh as well. So it was also Kurt yeah. Angle's hometown as well. Mm, I just don't think he was ever that level. I think looking back at it now, it feels that way. But I think at the time, mm. he did feel like he was that level and just needed to be given the final victory to get there. Mm. And I don't think he'd have stayed there for long. Don't get me wrong. I think a short run, even through to sort of WrestleMania the following year. I mean, let's be honest, the main event of the following WrestleMania was fucking Triple H versus Chris Jericho. So there's absolutely no reason why Rob Van Dam could not have been in the main event against anybody else, you know, for that matter. But ultimately, because they didn't give him the win here and then his momentum completely dropped and they then sort of relegated him to mid-card feuds, he never felt as important as he would do at this time again. And so when you look back, it feels like he was never at that level, but I think he was almost at that level at this stage, and he may have been pushed over by a victory here. Yeah, you never know if anybody's really at that level until they tr- until they they get there, do you? I suppose I quite liked this match, and I thought it was a great showcase of Rob Van Dam because there's certain parts during that match he could just hit moves without having to actually really tell a story. You know, he can just do his cool aerials, his kicks, rolling thunder, split leg and moonsault, five star frog splash, all that sort of stuff. The thing that really stood out to me though in this match was Steve Austin. So good, but the problem is. People don't want to boo him because he's so beloved. He is a, as a as a paranoid, like psychopathic heel leader of the alliance is absolutely brilliant. His performance is, is is the way he kind of ties it into his into his character. The matches the fact that he keeps trying to pin Rob Van Dam during the match and throw an angle out of it because Rob Van Dam has basically disobeyed him is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely phenomenal stuff. But people don't want to boo him. You know, people don't want to dislike him because he's been that good for so long. And it's just a, it's a shame really because it feels like a little bit of a, a waste because he's still brilliant at it. But you think about 
it wasn't quite that time. They they did that too early. But he was still at the peak of his popularity when he turned heel at seventeen, arguably. I, I don't I don't know if that's it. I, I, I we, we you know I was I was expecting for us to wait this wait to do this for WrestleMania seventeen when we finally cover WrestleMania seventeen in our series. But I guess that won't be for a little while yet. So let's take it on here. So I was thinking about this myself because obviously you're right. Austin during this match is. Like his entrance is greeted with cheers. The fans want Rob Van Dam to win this match, but he still isn't being booed. He's not getting heel heat tossed in here. But I think there's a, there's more to it than just the timing. In the immediate aftermath of him turning heel, it's not like he changed outfit or anything. Like Austin had to start to think about how how do I become the antithesis of what the Stone Cold character is? And his way of doing it was to sort of kiss up to McMahon. But I don't think that was enough. I think they needed to almost, at its core, change who Stone Cold Steve Austin was. Like they needed to change his his attire, they needed to change his music, but more significantly than just giving him a heavier version of his theme. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, they they had to go further, and they had to also give you a reason why he turned heel. That never came. That never ended up coming. Why he not not why he turned heel necessarily, because obviously he wanted to win the WWE title, but there was never an explanation as to why, in terms of screwing over the Rock. The reason, the way he did it was to go on, to come on, to come on board with Vince McMahon. You know what I mean? There was never that kind of sense of, he just never made that explanation. And it felt like given that this was so crucially opposite to what his character had done all that time, why he would suddenly now want to align himself with Vince, there needed to be some kind of explanation that made sense. And there just never was. Those two things are stark for me. The only other thing they did try to do to make Austin really different was to have him do loads of comedy segments, which were amazing brilliantly funny alongside Kurt Angle and Vince McMahon in the sort of summer of this year but they were funny they were really funny you you could only like him after seeing them there was no way to dislike him because he was just so brilliant in them and so funny that you it just didn't work so I don't know if it's just I don't think it's just about the timing I think there's also underlying issues with the way that they tried to sort of present him and the other thing is they're just giving you especially at the early point like when he beat up Jim Ross for example we watched 1997 in your house uh yeah. the one with Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker where Austin stuns Jim Ross during that show mm. all he was doing in the weeks after WrestleMania 17 was being the original Stone Cold character that turned him into the massively popular babyface in mm. the first place so it was never going to make him a bad guy or someone who the fans disliked because it was just going back to more of the core of the character again. So, yeah, I just I think it was just the way they presented him personally. That that was a bigger issue for me than the timing. I think the main problem was, was that what you had is you'd had this guy who for three and a half years, four years at this point had been the everyman. He was someone everyone wanted to be. Someone wants to beat up their boss. They want to not worry about what they do day to day. And he was that guy. And I think when they did the thing at 17, one, totally the wrong place, not going to happen. In Houston, come on, like, come on. That's a very silly thing to do anyway. But also I think that people were still like, well, yeah, he's doing what he needs to do to get ahead in life. That's what he's done. That's what this character is. And it just never really, well, never hit, did it? I, it would have been very interesting with the two-man power trip. I think they could have done something with that. Old Triple H's bloody legs gave up. And I think that would have been a very interesting phase. I do completely agree with the comedy stuff because I think there's a lot of comedy in his work as a heel as well here. Like there's a bit that we'll get onto earlier in the show where the coach goes to his dressing room and there's an interview of sorts where 
Austin is talking and Deborah is talking to the coach through the door, but you can hear Austin. And it's funny because it's just stupid. And it was never. Yeah, he's, like, t- he's like, tell the co- tell coach that this, and then Deborah would re-repeat it, and he would just. It was yeah. like she was relaying everything back to the coach, and uh, yeah. yeah, it was very very funny. Yeah, it was good shit. Go on, Austin. I did. Uh, I watched uh, the main event with the girlfriend. I was like, he's the best ever. She was like, who is he? And I was like. It's funny though that because funny like my my wife doesn't know well she knows who Steve Austin is now but she didn't know before we got together she obviously knew who the Rock was and I was like mm. oh she was like oh you know who's the biggest star it's got to be the Rock ever and and I'm like no I think it's Steve Austin I think he's the biggest wrestling star ever like, yeah. in terms of just drawing I think he probably is I mean y- you can argue that certain people have got more mainstream stardom but that's not mm. what i'm talking about i'm talking just in terms of the wrestling world but i'd said i, I said that there's a, certainly you'd make the argument that it would be austin or the rock or hogan but she's heard of the rock and hogan she had not heard of austin mm. well that's because hogan's an absolute whore and the rock's an actor <laughs> and and also her, hogan did hogan knows best Apparently as well so. yeah so i think people know that. and obviously bob the love sponge recorded him having sex with his wife as well so people know that as well the hogan knows best was such an awful show just hogan and fucking one of the nasty boys just milling around like yeah we're old and creepy and weird <laughs> going back to the rob van damme of it all the thing i did feel at the very least they shouldn't have had him lose this match so he was the one who got pinned mm-hmm. i don't think they should have had that happen i think kurt angle wouldn't have suffered from losing this match here haven't been pinned and I also think, imagine you get around to WrestleMania 18 and you've had this story where Austin and Rob Van Dam have been in the alliance together. They've been in this triple threat match together. Austin's won this match, but not beaten Rob Van Dam. And you could slowly build your way to Austin versus Van Dam at WrestleMania 18, which would have been a far more, a thing that Austin would have been far more invested in than a match with Scott Hall, which he didn't want to do and was unhappy about. And I just think that, you know, where Rob Van Dam could sort of say to him, you've never beaten me. You, we had one match where you didn't pin me, you pinned Kurt Angle. We were in the alliance together. Now we're not in the alliance. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna take you out. And that would have been a far more satisfying WrestleMania match for Austin the following year than, than what he got. So I just think ultimately, regardless, even if he doesn't win this match, he shouldn't have been the one to take the pin. I just think it completely kind of knocked the stuff out of him. It defined him down because what it said is you were put in this main event to take the pin. That was why you were in this main event. That's the problem I think mm. I have with it is that he had to take the pin. Having said all that, I agree with both of you. I thought this was a great match. I thought this was an excellent, excellent match. Really, really good. Austin's amazing. Kurt Angle's amazing. Even Rob Van Dam at this point, I think, is brilliant. I just think he's so good. It, this is at a time when people had not seen anything like Van Dam. It's, it's, it's difficult to think now, but people overestimate the amount of exposure ECW actually had. Like, even... If you'd heard of Rob Van Dam, lots of people had never seen him actually wrestle, never saw what he could do. And his style was so different to what anyone else had ever done before. It was really it was unique entirely. And so when he came around and started doing this stuff, he instantly everyone took to him because it was just so different to what they'd seen before. And in in this company, it just worked great because he was just he was just really, really good. Can we talk about Snooker or Steve Austin's awful half crab that he puts on. <laughs> he basically just stands him and just holds his leg a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. But then he has a beautiful STF. Lovely. He does. Yeah. God, Stone Cold. Show, show he's fucking, yeah, he, he really cinches that thing in. It's bloody lovely. I so a quick note on Bob Victor Dam, <laughs> which is which is his actual name. He is 
And I think this is why I feel the way I do. He's the patsy in this, not just in taking the pin. He is selling for everyone and everything. And his selling is fucking amazing in this match. He is selling like an absolute champ. But I feel like he doesn't need to be doing that because Angle and Austin are selling, but they're not selling to the level that he is. And I really thought, like, I don't know, this feels like they throw him out there almost as a test, but also just to be like, yeah, like you said, Tinky, like you're the one, you're the one who's out there to take this pin because we want to continue with something else and we don't really see you in it. So Angle hits a moonsault, finally hits one, and it is beautiful. JR says, before he's even jumped, he's gone, Angle hits a beautiful moonsault, and he bloody does. I loved Rob Van Damme's style of the stunner for the finish. I thought it was absolutely tremendous because he just kind of collapses in a heap on the floor. Austin obviously does what Austin does, leaps on him straight away. He ain't going to make him look bad. But I did not like, and this again, we've got the fucking McMahon problem. <laughs> Why the fuck are Vince Shane McMahon can lick a dick. We've talked about this before. He comes down acting like a cuck. A cuck. A cuck. <laughs> wow. Cuck. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, people shag his wife, does he? Yeah, he's fine. You know what? He might do. He might do. Him and Bubba both there in a cupboard. Oh, God. But um, Vince leaping into Shane over the announce table might be one of the great moments in wrestling. (laughs) Yes, it's amazing. (laughs) I mean, the punches after are ghastly, are absolutely ghastly. The, The camera should not have gone on to them. Because he's barely even anywhere near hitting him. Yeah, but old man, by that point, no one's even paying attention. They're just going mad because Vince McMahon's in that brilliant dive across the table onto Shane. And yeah. The place uh, is going nuts. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a great one. And it did kind of make up for the fact that I didn't really understand why they were there. Because, again, it takes away. You're taken away from what is a really... Like, this is a, a very clean wipe anyway. <laughs> but without the interference, I think this is shells. From Demolition Man. <laughs> really? Do you reckon? Yeah. Is this one wipe and then one wipe with a flushable wipe, just to make sure it's all perfectly clean? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think because you obviously always do the second wipe <clears throat> because safety first, consequences second. That's where Cactus Jack is built from, isn't it? Oh no, that's uh, truth or consequences. <laughs> the consequences. <laughs> um, the, the there's a couple of bits to this actually. So I wanted to quickly mention that I've been already mentioned. The great bit. Austin goes to kick Kurt Angle in the stomach. Kurt Angle catches him, and Austin just goes, "Oh shit!" <laughs> fucking amazing. Oh, because he knows that Angle is going to try and go for an ankle lock because he's got, yeah. and he does, and it's amazing. But Kurt Angle hits some absolutely wonderful suplexes in this match, and there's about a moment mm-hmm. where he hits Rob Van Dam with about 15 back belly to back suplexes in the end of the match that all look that look like he basically. Rob Van Damme should have been liquefied by those. Um, <laughs> but then it gets completely ruined because Kurt Angle hits these amazing suplexes and then does an absolutely piss-poor bridge. It's so disappointing. His feet are flat to the floor. His shoulders are down. It's really, really poor, and it really, really hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> he hits the incredible running up the turnbuckle suplex on Rob Van Damme as well, which just looks absolutely stunning yeah i just thought it was a i really like this match i'm really torn between this match and the rock jericho match for my match of the night and i can't quite figure it out i've been able to figure it out yet so maybe we'll discuss that after at the end of the show we can do this this is my match of the night by the way and austin is my mvp 
I just thought this was Austin was great during the show, and this is a really really good match. I mean, look, it's got that, it's got that. It's the angle hits the moonsault. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it just looks so good. It's just so so good. The the whole thing with Vincent Shane, yeah. Again, I agree, and I think what annoys me, and I maybe they did explain it, although I can't as i said i kind of i've got a bit of a hazy memory of this period but i'm not sure they ever did explain why vince favored rob van damme going into the show in the story why therefore he was there at ringside was he just there to try and help angle because obviously austin ends up pinning rob van damme we don't know whether or not vince is annoyed that um austin's won or that rob van damme hasn't won or that kurt angle hasn't won we don't really know why he's annoyed at the end other than we know he doesn't like that particular finish yeah, <laughs> so, he doesn't like the finish that'd be amazing if the next night he's like oh, i really hate that finish and they're like <laughs> you booked it and he's like oh fucking nah, fuck off. i just think ultimately it, it doesn't it, it, you're right i think there's a, just a little bit of a a problem with the fact that why why is all this going on and why are we not why is it never made clear and i think it is all basically to lead up to the a whole idea of the potential turncoats in the survivor series match but it doesn't therefore still doesn't mean that this makes sense still doesn't actually make sense that vince mcmahon is at some point favored rob van damme in the build-up and all that kind of stuff do you reckon this is austin's last really good match well obviously the rock uh, WrestleMania 19, which we what we. Oh uh, yes, yeah. So, so sorry, yeah. Before that one, I meant to say. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I will also say that I know it's not a singles match, but the Survivor Series five on five is just amazing. So I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, uh, just go and watch it t- today. It's <laughs> so good. Yeah. Time. I can wait <laughs> 20 minutes. Oh, you won't be. It's 45 <laughs> minutes long. If 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 that, it's just absolutely amazing yeah. match. Well, that's us talking about another show, and we've still got much more to talk about for No Mercy 2001, so we'll just take a little break, clear our palettes, and come back in a moment. What do you want, Coach? Well, I was hoping to get over with Stone Cold, if that's possible tonight. I don't think Stone Cold wants to talk to you. But you know what? Let me check just a second. Hey, do you want to talk to our Coach? No, I don't want to talk to Coach. But you can tell me that I think Kurt Angle is a sorry son of a bitch. Stone Cold says he doesn't want to talk to you. And by the way, he thinks Kurt Angle is a sorry SOB. Debra! What? Wait a minute. Why you got him out there? Tell him RVD is a big piece of trash. Oh, and by the way, he also says that RVD is a big piece of trash. Anything else? While you're at it, tell him as far as Best McMahon is concerned, he's a bigger piece of trash than RVD, and there ain't no way. There ain't no way I'm going to lose my WWF title tonight. And he also says that Vince McMahon is a bigger piece of trash than RVD. And Stone Cold also says there's no way he's going to lose his WWF championship tonight. Anything else? Tell him thank you to get his ass out of here. Thank you, and you can get your butt out of here. Okay, welcome back. So we've got the rest of No Mercy 2001 to cover right from the start. But I thought I would begin with a little bit of a statistic for you, old man, seeing as this is your last episode, at least for the time being. So this is episode 89 of the podcast. 89. Unbelievable. You, however, have been involved. You have been on 82 of those 89 episodes. Uh, You know what? So this is my 83rd? No, this is your 82nd. Sorry. Motherfuckers. <laughs> Why did you want 83? Well, because 83 is the year I was born, the greatest year known to man. I see. Or woman, 
or a child. Maybe you'll have to come on as a guest and then you'll have your 83 at some point. Uh, it's too late now. <laughs> so <laughs> the show itself, the show begins with the struggle for power intro video. Mm. And uh, concentrates solely on three men and their one goal, that being the main event, which we've already discussed. The commentators for the night are Jim Ross and Paul Heyman. This is often thought about as a classic period of WWE's commentary. Can I just add, in the opening video, there's a lovely bit where Angle is holding the title in a little clip, and then the title disappears, and Angle sells it lovely. Yeah, that that was good. Mm. Yeah, it was very good. And I also appreciate the fact that RVD didn't do the same. Because obviously we've got the the month before, as we've mentioned, Angle wins the title, and then suddenly it's gone from him. Lovely. I uh, also did think to myself at this point, this is when I realised what the main event was going to be, and I was like, oh, tasty. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should leave that in or bleep it over or something. <laughs> People are going to vomit having heard that. No doubt about it. So the first match of the night is for the WCW world tag no feature. quickly sorry quickly before that we hear no, no shut up you <laughs> no, no no shut up shut up you shut up the theme song i want to talk about very briefly which is click click boom by saliva hang on click click boom i could have sworn it was limp biscuit i was listening to it and i was like oh are we gonna to get to see tony shit chimmel be like and now we've got wwe's favoriteest bestest favorite the greatest band of all time limp biscuit but no Fucking saliva. Another word for spit. And that was what I did when I realised it wasn't Limp Bizkit. I went, Pah! I was going to bring this up later, actually, because there's a little like thing where they thank saliva. So we had the dreadful song by some people that I can't remember what they're called, that Tinky absolutely eviscerated poor Matt for. <laughs> I enjoyed um, that. I must admit, I had a little chuckle at that. <laughs> I thought this song, and I think it's very much an era thing, this song fits perfectly, this pay-per-view. So it gets away with it, because let's be honest, it's not a very good song, but it fits really well. Uh, i got to be honest, I didn't really notice Click, Click, Boom whilst it was going on. But I imagine if it's not very good, Matt will like it. So um, I'm sure he's going to have something to say about Matt it in is, the future. Matt's a big saliva guy. Yeah, <laughs> they call him Spitty Matt around the, around the valleys. <laughs> Probably do, probably do. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I bet you he loves a bit of saliva. And to be fair, like old man said, I thought it fitted the tone perfectly. So the opening match of the night is for the WCW Tag Team titles. I told you it was important for me to distinguish between the two. This one sees the WCW World Tag Team Champions, the Hardy Boys, defend against the Hurricane and Lance Storm. This is a match that goes just over seven and a half minutes, and it ends when Matt hits a twist of fate and Jeff hits a swanton bomb on the Hurricane to take the win via pinfall uh tom what was your thoughts on this one so Hardy boys are accompanied by lita and lance storm is accompanied by ivory hurricane with molly holly um and i was it's definitely going to be a fight between lita and ivory in this match however i was proven to be wrong because a fight between lita and molly holly so there you go good show i don't know everything these guys could have this match with their eyes closed and i'm pretty sure they might do a certain parts. obviously we know the history between the hurricane <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that for the thought of them just going right lads I shut let's do it <laughs> we, we know we know the history of the Hardy Boys and and, uh, and the Hurricane Lance Storms obviously a very very capable worker as well and yeah they just kind of go through the motions it's not a bad match but it was it was perfectly okay cut a highlight of it was that Molly Holly comes into the ring and puts a cape on the Hurricane so that when he doesn't yeah. dive off the top rope his cape flails behind him which is quite fun I 
really don't like this. I realised I really don't like most of the Hardy's offence. I hate the Whisper in the Wind, not because it sounds like a Smith's album cover, which I think I've said in the past, but because it takes Jeff so long to steady himself on the top rope. Now, admittedly, I can't run up top ropes, so I can't criticise him too much for that. But it just really takes it out of it because I remember it's Lance Storm he hits on, and Lance Storm just has to stand there in the ring, looking at him as he steadies his foot before he hits the move, and then barely brushes uh, Lance Storm with his leg, does Jeff. And the twist of feet can get in the fucking bin as well. And there's a bit where um, Jeff Hardy does his old leg, leg drop on uh, legs drop, his legs drop. There's both of his legs on Ivory's fanny, which is, can't be very nice, I wouldn't imagine. It was okay. The match was fine. It was what it was. It was absolutely fine. But the highlight of it was probably the cape, I think. And that's not my MVP, but an item of clothing, I think, is going to be my MVP. Ooh. Again, let you figure out what that might be later. Oh, man. I thought this was pretty bloody good, actually. I'm a big Lance Storm guy. One of the biggest in the business, to be honest. I think he's absolutely great. And I'd watch him do the dishes, to be honest. Well, possibly. Not sure, actually, now I've said that. But I thought this was really very good, very fast-paced. As Tommy said, they could do this with their eyes shut and some bollocks over their eyes, I think. Like, absolutely no problem. I'm so glad that you said, Tommy, that the hurricane gets the cape put on him because I must have momentarily switched off. And then all of a sudden, he's got a cape on later in the match. And I'd seen all of this happen. But I've not noticed whether it had been put on him or whether he'd been wearing it the whole match. And I was just very confused. Old Mollers and Shaners, let's be honest, they're faces. They're characters. They're good old cheery little faces. They managed to get the crowd, because the crowd are into them when they come out. They managed to get the crowd to turn a little bit just by being a little bit healy, which I really appreciate because it would have been very easy. You've got Lance Storm who's taking all the heat. Don't need to worry about that. Lance Storm is a fucking pro. Oh, fucking sexy, man. Jesus. Lovely. Bloody lovely. Awful hair. His, his, his balding patch is very strange. Mm. It's right down the middle of his head. Not in like a normal body. It's right down the middle. So he kind of looks a bit like a skunk. Yes, he does. Well, and that's been said before, because apparently his farts absolutely stink. <laughs> but yeah, I'll bet they do as well. Um, There's a lovely double thrust kick by Lance and Greg to hat. <laughs> Oh, no, it's just Matt, it's Nick, he won't run out. Sorry, lads. The crowd, so Molly gets to the ring, absolutely comes unglued when Lita goes in, and she hits a little spear, and then does the Hurricane Rana to Landstorm, possibly? Can't remember. Yes, because he's, um, he's got the half crab on someone, I think. He hits a Lita Rana, yeah. Uh, yeah a Lita Rana is when you hit a Hurricane Rana, but so sloppy that you almost break your neck. <laughs> wow, bloody heck. I mean, to be fair, you're not wrong. But I thought this was very, very, very enjoyable stuff. And I thought, you know what? 2001, this, 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 this <laughs> we might have finally found my year. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree with old man. I thought this was very, very good. Very, very enjoyable. Um, and I did find it a bit strange that I found it quite so good because I thought Lance Norman and Hurricane were an odd tag team. Didn't really, other than them both being Alliance members, didn't really make a lot of sense to put them in a team. They didn't really seem to fit me, to me. The other thing that annoyed me straight away was they talked about Hurricane and the Hardy Boys and their history being close <laughs> to each other when they grew up, which we had kind of years later when Matt Hardy had a match with Gregory Helms in the same and they just talk about it all the time every time they're in the ring together that's all they ever talk about the other thing I noted because you mentioned the hat and I was also kind of like oh yeah this is this is Jeff's hat phase but I also thought 
my god don't jeff and matt hardy look ridiculous as they come to the ring yeah <laughs> like doing their little hand signal and they're like thrusting and like bodies like moving all over like what are you doing you fucking idiots it just looks so stupid and i thought but we did think they were very cool at the time so it's I, obviously a it's obviously a time thing this one i love the fact that one of my favorite things was when jeff hardy made his debut in, uh-huh. uh, in aw so matt hardy was getting the shit cooked out of him by andrade and the rest of the hfo and jeff hardy comes down to the ring to make the save and just stops and just starts doing the dance <laughs> Your brother's getting the shit kicked out of him. Come on, save him. But it's obviously so hardwired. I bet you he fucking gets up in the morning and goes into the bathroom and starts going. Eh, eh. <laughs> I'll tell you what, right? Like, on a. Uh, on a <laughs> the image of him trying to do his teeth and there's a toothpaste going everywhere. <laughs> his wife's just like, for God's sake, Jeff. Do you reckon that's, you know, when he's got that, like, mad, um, that mad, like, face paint on and stuff like that? Do you reckon that's just toothpaste that's just gone all over his face? <laughs> oh, mentally. But on a, on a more serious note, that, that's why EW's crap. Like, how can you allow that to happen? He'd come down and start bloody doing his little dance when his brother's getting beaten down. Fucking pathetic. But how can you let him do his dance in 2022? <laughs> it shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to have a quick look to see how old he is. He's got to be approaching 50. That's what uh, my guess would be 48, which is a great I, age. I reckon he's 42. Tom? I'm going to go 46. Well, Tom wins because he's closest. He's 45. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's good. He's seven years older than me. He's had a hard life, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. Jesus, stick at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on from the Hardy Boys. We've already got to cope with old man's last episode. We don't need, you know, more sadness. No, sorry. Um, I need to bring up something else. So um, Martin Jeff's dad is called Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, one, I said incredibly Bristolian there. <laughs> and also, I just, that's just a great name. Old, old Gilbert. Oh, Gilbert Hardy. <laughs> so next up Rob Van Dam arrives at the arena and is welcomed by William Regal Regal says he assumes Rob Van Dam is going to apologise to Austin for five star frog splashing him on Smackdown recently Rob Van Dam says he's not Regal asks I'm not if, Regal asks I'm not Vin- I'm not bloody doing it Regal asks if Vince and RVD are working together he says no he's looking after number one and he is going to win the title tonight pretty good I thought this was oh, this was pretty good I mean Regal's face is tremendous just got a really really great face his facials are tremendous and rvd yeah like not very charismatic and i'll be honest at this point this is when it first started dipping in i was like i can see why they didn't pull the trigger on him because his promos are like a wardrobe being stood there interviewed just as the door is creaked open and shut multiple times when he's meant to be talking i'd rather mr blobby was interviewed See, this is the thing. I think in WWE, this just this was just a problem for him. He didn't have any of the freedom that he had in ECW. And in ECW, he's great, I think. I think he's just really charismatic. But here, he's just not as good. Anyway, Vince then arrives via limousine. And when Michael Cole attempts to interview him, he says he's here tonight to make an impact. During this whole thing, Michael Cole... <laughs> 
like, I, I can't read what I've written, but basically he uh, drops Vince's jacket as he's trying to put the jacket on Vince. And Vince's back is to the camera. So everyone assumes that he's not seen him. And Michael Cole kind of picks it up and almost kind of sigh, breathes a sigh of relief. And then at the end, Vince tells him that if he drops his uh, jacket again, he'll be in trouble. He'll be he'll, he'll drop him or something like that, he says. Yeah. Two things go out of the limo. Vincent Mann and Vincent Mann's incredible waistline. It is so high. His trousers are so unbelievably high. They're getting my MVP. Because my God, they are almost nipple territory. They're so high. Can I clarify? Is it Vince's waistline or Vince's trousers? Waistline. But the trousers did a lot of the heavy lifting. Right. I just, you know, we need to make sure that we've got that right because we've had yeah. Jim Ross's waistcoat recently. So I just want to make sure. That's also mine, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, loved, loved this bit. Loved it because I was just like, oh my God, that's fucking got his high trousers on. Good Lord. Yes. So next up, we get footage from SmackDown where Test hits The Undertaker with a big boot that allows Booker T to pin The Undertaker. Then it's Kane versus Test. So I don't really know. I don't really <laughs> understand my notes anymore, to be honest. I don't know if no. my no- I don't know if my notes are wrong or the video no, is wrong. <laughs> no, you, you're you're incredible. That is what happened. They're like they're like he's interfering in the Undertaker's matches. Therefore, you get a match against Kane for some. Oh, cunt! Sorry, cunt. You get a match against Cunt. Well, this is also, of course, Test, the latest uh, edition of Test Alton Push as well. Yeah. We're getting here. <laughs> yeah, I noted that. I never, never realised that before. But I was like, do you know what? Fair play. Nothing a lot consistent. Having, having someone interfere in The Undertaker's matches is the definition of getting yourself a bit of a push. <laughs> well, well, also, it's just long-term booking, isn't it? Like, every autumn, they push Test. Yeah, do you think there was you, going to be some supernatural thing that in like 2005 they were going to reveal? Only he was no longer with the company. Yeah, I was I was a bit sad when he died. So you're constantly trying to bring us down, all bad. I just want more tears mm-hmm. than for your last episode, prick. Um, so this match goes for just about 10 minutes, and it ends when Test gets a chair, but Kane hits a drop kick to the chair. Kane then goes to use the chair, but Nick Patrick stops him. Kane goes to choke slam Nick Patrick, but Test then blasts Kane with a big boot and gets the pin. So obviously Nick Patrick as the kind of dodgy WCW official as well at the time. Oh man, your thoughts on this one? So King is a cunt. Glenn, Jacob, Glenn Jacobs is a cunt. We all know that. I thoroughly enjoyed this. They punch and kick each other. That's basically what they do. And then Kane press slams him over the top rope, which blew my little balls off. Test hits Kane with the bell. Nick Patrick, who's a WCW referee, Tinky's favourite, no DQ. JR then says he's hit him with the bell. And uh, Paul goes, no, he didn't. He said, well, what did he hit him with? Your cap. And and Heyman just goes, well, it is a nice cap. <laughs> and I was laughing my head off at this point. Tess then channels his inner Ric Flair with a delay over the head suplex, which was lovely. I thought a lovely tribute to the great man, Cyborg Slam by Test to King. Test is again, like to your point the other week, Tinky, Test is pulling out all the stops. Elbow drop attempt from the top rope, which he then does after he does the pump handle slam. Test gets a chair. Kane tries to drop kick it, which the drop kick actually looks pretty good, considering Kane's a big fucking cunt in more <laughs> ways than one. He, but he drop kicks the chair about three miles away from Test's face, so that doesn't look good. But there's a big boot and it's done. And I was just like, at the end, I was like, bloody enjoyed that. Really enjoyed that. And I was a bit like, what's going on? <laughs> what, what's was wrong I, with I was you? Like, well, I was sat there and I was a bit like, Test and Kane. <laughs> I don't know how long the match goes. I can't remember. 
And, um, 10 minutes for this is. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? That's two matches. I'll take more of this. They surprised this one. I think. And Tess joins the list that includes Kempatera, Val Venus, uh, Mike Rotunda and others. <laughs> yeah, go on, Test. Test. The greatest. Yeah, the greatest. The great test. <laughs> the grey test. Yeah. yeah. Grey whistle test, if you will. Um <laughs> oh, lovely. This match is really weird. I like old man was left somewhat dumbfounded by the end of this match. And I was thinking about it, in terms of expectations versus reality, it's probably the best match I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> All the things that old man point out is, is true. The, the overhead press is impressive, the drop kick's amazing. The crowd are really into it. Fucking Kane's got a floppy boot at one part of the match, which is really exciting. <laughs> And there's some lovely banter about hats, which you know I'm all in for. Mm. Um, it's easy to take Kane for granted. and You've got to respect that he can come off the top rope with relative ease. It's just a shame he doesn't have the same respect for what women will choose to do with their bodies, isn't it? Because mm. let's not forget, he is a fucking cunt. There's a bit, this is a testament to how much the crowd are into this match. The crowd go absolutely mad for a false finish after a test pump handle slam. And the crowd, and Kane kicks out and the crowd are like, yeah! Yes, come on, fucking Arcane. Yeah, they fuck them. They don't deserve it. And uh, yeah, it's it's just great. I did think the uh, the the kick to the face was a bit of a um a weird finish, but you know, I mean, I was up for it. And then uh, at the end of it, no. Kane Kane does what I think everyone all of us want to do, and he just kicks a shit out of Nick Patrick at the end of the match, <laughs> which I think we can all get behind. The thing with Test and the Big Boom. They are on commentary as well. They're really putting that over. They're obviously trying to change his finish from the fucking pump handle shit because that's just not uh, the, the, the the shit handle shit. The shit, shit, shit. That's it. Because it's just not a good finishing move. Like, even for a big guy, he does it to Keane. It's very impressive. But, yeah, I quite like the big boot. I wouldn't take it in the face, but I couldn't from Tess because he's dead. God rest his soul. I, I mean, I don't think I was quite as enthusiastic about this as Tom was, the best match of all time. I mean, I know he was talking relevant relative to expectations but it was perfectly serviceable for 10 minute match between Kane and Test I will accept this any day of the week you know if, if these two have to wrestle each other this will more than do for me I quite like the fact that they had all the Nick Patrick stuff although obviously it did have to feature Nick Patrick which was a shame but there we go I feel like you let yourself down my thinking <laughs> because I didn't heap praise on Kane versus Test yeah I really do feel like you've really you really let aside on my last show as well. Probably won't be the last time, so let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so this is the b- bit where next up the coach knocks on Austin's dressing room. Deborah answers, and Austin tells Deborah to tell coach that Angle is a scary son is a sorry son of a bitch. Not scary. Angle is a sorry sorry son of a bitch, and RVD is a big piece of trash, and that Vince is an even bigger piece of trash than RVD. And then there's no way he's losing his WWE title tonight. He's, he, tells her to say this on individual occasions as Jonathan Coachman is relayed those messages back by Deborah. But you can hear everything Austin's saying. And she said, it's very funny, far funnier than the way I've explained it there. What I liked about it is that Austin sounds like a child who's having a tantrum as he's doing it. <laughs> Deborah is saying it completely stone-faced, like dead, deadpan to Coach. And Coach is trying with every fibre of his being not to laugh. At the t- it's just yeah. gold. It really, really, really popped me this did. I really enjoyed this section. Yeah, De- Deborah's great as well. Deborah's really yeah. good in it. Too. Austin was just doing this every week at this time. He was just absolutely doing this every week, just making everyone laugh every single week. And as great as it was, it was probably counterproductive because yes. he's supposed to be getting booed and he just wasn't because it was just so funny. 
then we get another backstage bit where Stacey Kubler bumps into Matt Hardy and asks Matt for his opinion of her lingerie. After she walks away, Lita arrives and asks what he's looking at. But he acts innocent as if he's not looking at anything in particular. Can I just say, I found this completely pointless and a bit fucking shit, to be honest, because why are you teasing that? Why? Why? I don't understand. Never understood it. Ross Wids, I don't really remember a lot from this show. So I watched this probably a few years ago. Don't remember much from it. But I remember that bit. I remember being annoyed by it then. So I don't get it. Well, they're preparing Matt it. for a heel turn, aren't they, on Jeff? That's what they're preparing him for. So if you're going to turn him heel on Jeff, you kind of have to do it on Lita as well. I don't think they ended up going through with it, though. I got a feeling that they were preparing them for the turn and a feud. And then they kind of did it and then thought, oh, actually, we don't want to do this. And then put them back together. And they decided to do it again in 2009. And then shit. decided to do it later on. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I remember that wrong. But they definitely were about to turn him heel at this point. Uh, there's then a video package hyping up the laundry match between Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler, which begins when Tori Wilson started dating Tajiri. Uh, Stacey then becomes manager of the Dudley Boys and they powerbomb Tori Wilson through a table in typical Dudley Boys fashion. Could I just say that powerbomb looked rough? Mm. That, did, that did not look a nice landing. For, like all, all the criticism of oh, Bubba Ray Dudley being an absolute knows he'd normally be pretty good at protecting people that weren't necessarily physically equipped to take a powerbomb through a table i don't think he did it this time but like he's let himself down and he's let me down as well so that leads into the laundry match which comes next it's tori wilson versus stacy keebler it lasts for a epic three minutes and ten seconds and it ends when tori wilson wins with a handstand back elbow this was mercifully short, as neither can wrestle. And Jim Ross did call it right in the opening. He says, this will not be a Jack Briscoe versus Dory Funk Jr. classic. Mm. <laughs> it's at this point where I nearly did the Pope when he gets off a plane and kisses the ground. Because I was so <laughs> thankful that Jerry the King Lawler wasn't on commentary. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, thank God. I've never been so happy about anything in my life, I don't think. It's hard. Is this a tough one to talk about? Because it is shit. It is really shit. And it's exploitative and in bad taste, in my view. I didn't hate this, though. Like, I didn't. I think that JR goes to great, great pains to say that they are not wrestlers and this isn't going to be a good match, as you said. But after he says that about um, Jerry Briscoe and Dory Funk, Heyman says, Yeah, we all know that <laughs> Jerry Briscoe used to wrestle in lingerie, which I don't know if that is. Uh, forecasting or referencing back to the evening gown match, which didn't he have with Pat Patterson? Yeah. So, which I thought was quite funny. There's a bit in it where uh, Stacy struggles to take off her dress again. Any type of uh, moment where anybody's having difficulty was makes me chuckle in a, in a ring. And there's a bit where Stacy pulls out a whip and JR just goes under his breath. He goes, "God grief!" Um, <laughs> but like you said, it's pretty short. There's a spot where the ladies roll over referee Jack Doan and oh, <laughs> I yeah. laughed like a drain when that happens. But it's just a bit of something of nothing. It's titillation is what it's for, isn't it? That's what this entire thing is. But thankfully. It's not too long and it's over pretty quickly. That's what she said. <laughs> so just to clarify, this is after the evening gown match, which was in the year 2000. Just thought I'd have a little check. So you are right, Tom. That is... Well, Paul Heyman was right, not me. Yeah, well, you, you were right. Do you worry, mate? Do you worry? <laughs> this starts off pretty hot because Stacey Kubler gives the old classic double cartwheel to start the match. 
It is wonderful. It's like a game of chess where you've got all these like chest moves, chest, oh fucking hell, uh, chest, chest moves, where it's like the old hangman's knob or whatever it is, the classic starts. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? You just yeah. compared, you just compared Stacey, Stacey Keebler versus Tori Wilson to a chess match. No, it's because. <laughs> it's it's bad. It's last night, last night on BBC Radio 5 Live, Rob Green, <laughs> Rob Green compared Erling Haaland to Kenwin Jones. Yeah. Which was a very weird show, and that is almost as weird. No, so there's like certain starts in chess that have got names. I don't know any of them, but the double cartwheel could be added to it because it threw it threw Tori off her game. She didn't know what to do. She did not know what to do. To their credit, there's a sunset flip and then lots of like rolling pin attempts, which I appreciated because at least they're fucking trying. Because like you said, Tommy. They're out there for one reason, one reason only, so that the perverse men watching, I would have definitely been one of them at this stage, can have a little bit of fun and go, oh, yeah, women, oh, yeah, women. Watched <laughs> in 2022. <laughs> so, Sorry, what was that, old man? Can you just uh, repeat that for me, <laughs> Oh, yeah, women, oh, yeah, women. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was absolutely, absolutely fine for what it was. And I admire the women. I admire the way that JR called it as well, because he is, as you said, Tom, uh, pains to point out that I think by points down that it's not a wrestling match, he's also kind of raising the fact that he's quite uncomfortable with the fact that loads of people are watching going, oh, yeah, women, oh, yeah, women, basically. <laughs> I'm, I'm just disappointed that it's taken us 89 episodes yeah, to get no. to that, because uh, now he'll <laughs> never do it again after today. Oh, such a shame. Brilliant stuff. No, I mean, look, this is just... I don't mind if they do this kind of thing ultimately, but I just think don't make them do wrestling moves. I don't like it when they gav them do wrestling moves because they can't. They're not properly trained to do it. They clearly are not properly trained. And we've seen this before in, in another circumstance where they put people out there and they aren't. They try to do wrestling moves, but it looks dangerous because they aren't fully trained. Or at least even if they have been trained, they've had minimal training and they've had no experience in front of a crowd so it just it, you know this is supposed to be the elite level of of this industry and you're putting two people out there giving them moves to do which they probably never done in front of a crowd before that's just silly hey, two cartwheels two cartwheels did do the two cartwheels got to be honest yeah. about that i uh tried to do a forward roll the other day and i started <laughs> and got a little bit scared so i dread <laughs> to think <laughs> terrifying doing a cartwheel would be at 38 and being very out of shape i can't do a cartwheel they they scare me like legitimately scare me. i'm always scared that like my leading arm is gonna like buckle or something and i'll end up landing on my head mm. and breaking yeah. my neck and then suddenly i'm no stacy keebler <laughs> i've never done a cartwheel ever haven't um, you no, no, no. i've tried badly but i've never no. done one mm. tom have uh, have you yeah, fucking course I have. Back in the day, all right, I was all reasonably, right. reasonably agile for a man of my size. I'd all be right. like nimble, some might say. It's uh, next up backstage. Michael Cole interviews Kurt Angle. Um, Cole asks Angle about Vince seemingly being behind Rob Van Dam. Before he can answer, Vince walks in and wishes Angle the best of luck in tonight's match. Angle says he doesn't need luck because he's going to win the title tonight. Yeah, what an he's expression. Not. Yeah, he's not. We know he doesn't. He's S- wrong. Silly. Yeah, wrong. Yeah. 
Lillian Garcia then interviews Christian. Christian says that no matter how good you are, there's always someone better. And tonight he'll prove that he's better than Edge. They're still very much considering these two brothers at this stage in their mm. career. So obviously would end up retconning out of existence later in life. So this is where I realised it, lads. Christian, long hair, long hair Christian, bins. He's a bins wrestler. <laughs> Look at him, he's got all the eye marks, he's got a little ratty face. Yeah, I can see why Vince wanted to put a dot over it. Vince saw him all those years ago and was like, oh God, look at him. Look at him going through the bins. <laughs> <laughs> he's there with Drew. So, he's there with Drew and uh, Beardless Drew and, uh, and Pac. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I've got some notes about this. So it's Christian with Lillian. I've no idea what these mean, these notes. To that, that, that list are in one last time to my notes. Good work on the Maguire Have Roll stuff. <laughs> All right. Okay. Right. So literally, no. I tell you what that is. I I actually can tell you. So they are in the yes. That night they are in St. Louis. Mark McGuire played for the Cardinals when he broke the home run Mm. home run record. Big steroidy guy. Yeah, yeah. They all were at that time. It's a steroid era. They even openly call it the steroid era in like Major League Baseball. And then the following season, I think Barry Bonds beating him and possibly one or two other guys as well. Sammy Sosa, I think, did as well. So that's what he's talking about there. He's comparing Edge to those people, saying that there is always someone better. And he's you know, mocking the crowd in St. Louis. And what you, which one do you call it? St. Louis? St. Louis? What's, what's, the, what's the proper pronunciation? Well, if it's, cause it's named after somewhere in France, I believe. Is it named, uh, is it named after Louis Capaldi? It is. Cool. So it's called Saint Louis. Cool. <laughs> Drew McIntyre coming out of the Lewis. bins with a with a beard. <laughs> no, it's Lewis Capaldi because he's Scottish. I right. gotta be honest. For a good six months, I thought Lewis Capaldi was a, a, a young footballer that had come through. <laughs> I thought he was the guy from the thick of it. Oh, that's uh, Peter Capaldi. So it's his son. It's his son. No. <laughs> Is it any relation? Well, I had a mother. <laughs> we then get the video package hyping Edge versus Christian with Christian winning the IC title from Edge at Unforgiven and then Christian turning on his brother and joining the Alliance Ooh, I, I, I thought this was a good time to mention obviously that by this point this is the problem I think people or one of the problems anyway that people have for the invasion angle is that by this point nearly the entire Alliance are just people who were already in WWE before WCW were bought by WWE so you've seen Test you've got Tory Wilson's moved over to the WWF. Christian's now in it. The Dudley boys are in the alliance. It's getting silly. Well, this was the whole problem is that, and it's been gone over ad nauseum, so we don't need to go over it again in detail. But they didn't have the big big guns, did they? They didn't have Bill. They didn't have Steve. They didn't have Scott, Kevin, Terry, Jeff. I I have Jeff Jarrett. I had to think very hard and long then about who Steve was. I was like, Steve McMichael? Like, no. <laughs> um, so the next match is Christian versus Edge. It's a ladder match for the Intercontinental title with Christian defending. It's 22 minutes long. And it ends when Edge hits the concerto on Christian on top of the ladder then grabs the title and wins the match. Popular win for Edge, but for me, a little disappointing on the whole. Old man. So we start off all right. So Christian's got his great music, his great heel music. Where is it? Christian, Christian. I don't know that shit. Uh, Edge comes out to his Roy Zombie music, which I enjoyed. I thought this was crap. 
I thought this was really not good at all. And I think we've got a couple of problems here. The main one is that they, I think, are very aware of what the second problem is, is that this is far too soon after WrestleMania 17 for any of the participants in TLC2 to be involved in a ladder match because all the crowd are waiting for are the high spots. That's all they're waiting for. So what Edge and Christian try and do is have a little bit of a wrestling match early on and the crowd aren't fucking interested in it. And then they're just waiting for the high spots. That's all they're doing. They're just waiting and all they do, all Edge and Christian do is move from one spot to the next, from one spot to the next. The spots aren't even that. And this is a very strange criticism to me because they're obviously putting their bodies on the line, whatever they do. But they're not even very impressive spots. Like, they don't really do anything. I got incredibly bored, like bored so that I was thinking about what I need to get food shopping during one point and start making a little list on another piece of paper. I just thought this was really, really, really poor. And I can't figure out if it's their fault or not, but not good at all. And I was so relieved when it was done. And I I think I kind of knew this was going to be a bit crap because I knew they were going to get a lot of time. I didn't think they'd get 22 minutes, mind. That's excessive. That's at least seven minutes too many. And they might have been all right with 15, but yeah, not good at all. Really poor. Get off, lads. What about you, Tom? Did you feel this was quite as bad as old man? I was so not interested in watching this match. <laughs> it took me four days to come back to it. I <laughs> saw them both come out and I was like, I can't even fuck with this. And that was on Thursday and I finished it yesterday on Monday. It took me four days to, to pick this back up again. I don't know if I'm as down on it as old man was because I wasn't particularly up for it in the first place anyway. The best bit in it was when um, Christian takes a crotch spot on the ladder. It looks very painful. And um, JR goes, well, looks like that'll be no Uncle Edge in his future, which uh, made yeah. me chuckle. But that's about it. I didn't really say much. I remember got really say much to, 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 you know, much to say about this. The, the bit that I did find very tedious in the match was is JR's obligatory, ah, people say I know how to fall. I don't know how to fall on a ladder. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, fucking hell. Oh, there you go. He's on his soapbox again. Yeah, I didn't didn't enjoy this match. I didn't think it was very good. I don't like that. What happens a lot in ladder matches, but it's even more noticeable when it's two people, is them really clearly setting up for spots. Like, why are you mm-hmm. gonna put? Why are you gonna look like you're falling, but putting that ladder and wedging it in between the ropes or something like that? Like, it just doesn't look too good. And who knows? At the time, maybe watching it may have been may have been different. But we've been so inundated with fucking ladder matches. Now that we get a guaranteed like four ladder matches a year or whatever, it's just too many. Because we've got the what the TLC pay per view and Money in the Bank, so you're guaranteed at least three ladder matches multi-person ladder matches a year and then however many ones they'll chuck on top and i'm just so fucking bored of them i'm so sick of ladder matches and uh and mm. this this wasn't one of the particularly good ones i didn't think i mean i think you're absolutely right what you said old man earlier on is that it's too close to wrestlemania 17 and the other mm. tlc matches that took place i mean there was a tlc3 wasn't there that was on raw <laughs> or something or smackdown yes. earlier in the year even before this after wrestlemania 17 so it, they were all just far better than this was and i guess they were like trading off the fact that edging christian are the masters of the ladder match but let's be let's be clear about this the reason those matches were so amazing 
in the main, or at least the big spots, were the Hardy Boys. They were the ones who took all the massive, mm. massive bumps. These guys were never going to be able to hit those heights. Now, don't get me wrong, they did take some pretty mad bumps in those matches themselves, but they weren't really the reason why those those matches worked so well. This was quite stark for me because we talked earlier on about Chris Jericho and the performance in his match against The Rock. And as we know, in 2021, Chris Jericho was my figure of hate. Edge is still my figure of hate this year. And I think this is why Chris Jericho managed to redeem himself and Edge didn't and hasn't so far, because I just, I'm not seeing it. I'm just not seeing this slew of classic great matches that Edge is supposed to have happened or had over his career. I just don't think he's had them. Maybe we've been unlucky and not hit the matches that, you know, really stand him out as a big, great performer. Certainly we haven't seen any it was 2006 feud with john cena which was a which a major part of his kind of legacy that word again old man you know i know you love it so much this is your last episode that we better bring it up but yeah i just i'm just not seeing it and and equally to your point old man a couple of weeks ago when when christian like he's all right he's serviceable but i i think we said this possibly even last year i agree with vince that he isn't a main event talent I don't think he is. I think he's. I think he's a decent hand who is a good mid card guy who can help get people over. You can put him in with younger guys to give them some experience. But I'm just not that excited by him in general. I just don't find him to be a really exciting talent to watch. So yeah, I, I thought this was pretty dull. And there was a lot of time, to your point, Tom, for them just setting stuff up, like just putting ladders up. And I was just like, this is so boring. It's not worth the payoff. It's not worth the bump that you get at the end of it. It's just boring yeah for me not a great match at all very disappointing and i think in general the dudley boys the hardy boys and christian edge a bit different edge has had a good singles career let's be clear about this but their feuds christian edge's feud against each other the hardy boys feuds against each other they just didn't work they just were no good Mm. and whilst i understand that they had in edge and jeff hardy potential main event guys it did mean that we had to go through these feuds and i just wish we never had to i guess uh, what they should have done is had them split the way the heart foundation did which is just amicably that would yeah. have been fine too mm. they were after all brothers it may, would make more sense for them to break up in an amicable way i think it i think it's too much of a i think it's too easy for suddenly two brothers to start hating each other it should be a far more rare occurrence in wrestling than it actually is well the tag teams in general should split amicably, amicably more often because you so because it means that you don't obviously have to start their singles run against each other give them a fresh break the problem is with that is that these days mostly most of the tag teams are set up in order to split them up (laughs) yes so that's the other the other side of it i suppose so next up spike dudley is shown sadly drowning his sorrows at wwf new york uh we then see footage of the dudleys putting spike through a table spike says he is looking forward to seeing big show and tajiri defeat the dudleys in the match that's still to come which we've already spoken about Heyman asks how he feels after molly dumped him recently but spike is distracted by a woman who approaches him and it seems as if spike may already be forgetting the relationship with molly ever happened i missed the tajiri bit but he said i'm looking forward to the big show the dudleys and i went oh fuck me <laughs> in a match involving Big Show and Dudley. Luckily, I was pleasantly surprised by it, but I was horrified at that prospect. Also, also, you didn't know what great shape the Big Show was in at this point. That's true. It's true. That's right. And, and to be honest, afterwards, he didn't know either. It was only when you brought it up afterwards, old man, that mm. uh, either of us were any the wiser. So that match is next. We've already spoken about that. Then we get backstage William Regal congratulating Rhino on his actions during the Dudley Boys versus Big Show and Tajiri match. Rhino says he's going to show everyone the alliance is not a joke. 
but this didn't lead to anything later on in the show so i don't know if if it then led to something on raw later on in the storyline but it felt a little bit strange backstage test booker t and shane celebrate with the dudleys no they don't they celebrate the dudleys win and test win against Cade as well shane says that next booker t needs to beat the undertaker and get respect from the rest of the alliance this leads me into a major problem i think that they're having at this point in the card why is anyone fighting like the dudleys are fighting big show and steery why like there's no there's literally no reason for that match to happen isn't it because they put well the reason why they're fighting Tajira is because they put Tori Wilson to the table. Uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of forgot that bit. But why is Super Slim Big Show there? And also, <laughs> like Undertaker Booker T, right? So we'll get on to their match. There's no build to it at all, well, apart from oh, I want to get a bit of respect. Back off. <laughs> well, all the matches are being basically covered under the guise of the wwe yeah. versus alliance feud i mean that's that's effectively a, probably another issue with this mm. they're also in uh, i've noticed throughout this show because obviously this is a month before this whole story ends is they are now starting to f- decide which of the wrestlers on the alliance are going to be baby faces and then therefore mm. continue to be on the main roster immediately after the Survivor Series show, because obviously mm. what happened is that at the end of the Survivor Series, all the people that didn't have a title or weren't winners of the immunity battle royal like Tess was, were fired effectively in the storyline, mm. and then gradually they brought them back. So there's kind of a sense that anybody who's turned babyface and therefore joined WWF is now is going to stick around and also they're trying to find you know they've got like the hurricane gimmick they've kind of kind of introduced that and kind of got them him doing something it feels like they're figuring out that they now want some of these alliance guys to be baby faces and they're trying to figure out ways to do it but it, it's kind of weird because you're still in this feud between the wwf and alliance so rob van Dam, for example is one of the most popular people in the company but he's still in the alliance and they want him to stay in the alliance till at least the survivor series i was just thinking about test as you do (laughs) and so we were talking about his push right so the next pay-per-view after no mercy is um, no is a rebellion oh yeah of course rebellion which doesn't actually feature test and then there's a survivor series where he loses to edge in 11 minutes and then there's a vengeance after that where he uh i think we could say that the autumn's over by that by this point when vengeance happened and he loses in a tag match alongside christian to scotty too high and albert so you can see his like trajectory is like push arc just yeah. like going back down. basically over the autumn he got pushed november yeah. came along he got his title match against edge didn't manage to get the victory and then that's it so we've got one more <laughs> match really to cover before one more match we round everything up it's the undertaker versus booker t it's a 12 minute match and it is won by Booker T, I believe. No, the no, Undertaker wins. <laughs> no, the Undertaker wins, sorry. Um, he hits a last ride out of the corner as Booker T is punching him, and he gets the pin. I've got one question for you both, really. What the fuck, and I'll say that again, what the fuck is a Booger Red? What? what? That's what they call the Undertaker, Booger Red. Booger Red. <laughs> I've got no um, idea, mate. If you go into Urban Dictionary, Booger Red is apparently Southern slang for some red hairs and red hair and freckles. But it also has on there a wacky name for Booker T or The Undertaker created by Jim Ross. Booger Red on the offense. Can I ask you one question real quick? <laughs> what in the heck is a Booger Red, says Jerry Lawler? And he's right. What the fuck is a Booger Red? 
Yeah, you know what? I didn't hear that, but I'm glad you raised it because it's very strange. That is more interesting than anything happens in this entire match. <laughs> so, Tom, is that your opinion? Is it? Yeah, I thought this match was really shit. I thought was, I think the Undertaker is really in his lazy. I'm a bit of a cunt phase. He sells in the same way that he hits his offense, which is by going. That's what he does <laughs> the entire match. Whenever he gets hit, whenever he hits anyone, that's it. That's all the Undertaker's got in this match. A couple of little bits that I did quite like, though. Booker T goes for a ring bell. It's the second ring bell assault mm. slash attempts we've had, which you don't get anymore. And I don't know why, but I like a bloody good ring bell twat. Is, some... it because, is it because it makes more sense because a ring bell should be at ringside? And that's why WWE don't use it because they only, or AW don't use it, because they only want really convoluted things to get involved yeah. in a wrestling match. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the thing is as well, like, it, I guess... Maybe the argument could be is that you only ever see people get hit in the head with a ring bell. And people, they don't tend to do like headshots mm. with chairs and stuff as much anymore, do they? Yeah, but it's far more far more protect, pr- protectable, isn't it, though, as well? A Sorry? ring bell to, to the head. You were yeah, it is very protected. <laughs> um, there's there's some bell sniff in the sign with the, in the crowd with a bring back King Lawler sign, which I didn't appreciate. Yeah. And Booker T at one point bumps into some bloke who spills like half a pint of beer on himself and then goes... Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I just didn't like it. There's, there's, a, there's a bit where Booker T bizarrely goes for a double axe handle off the uh, second rope onto an, onto the Undertaker, who's on the ground, which is just a very strange spot. I just didn't think it was very good, and I wasn't really paying attention towards the end because I got bored, and then I didn't know what the ending of the match was. And it was at this point where I realised that there have been no replays at all during this entire show. They do not show any instant replays of anything during the match. So I didn't know how it ended and I didn't care enough to, to rewind it. So yeah, that was my that was my thought. Cool, old oh, man. I thought this was pretty good actually. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, there's nothing spectacular about it. The crowd absolutely fucking love Undertaker. Absolutely love him. I like the fact that they start off and they're having a brawl outside. So Booker T goes up and meets the old underpants there on the ramp. And then they get in the ring. And I think it's Tim White. Rings the bell. That's him to ring the bell. I thought, lovely old job. Well done, Tim. Well done, Chippy Tim White. Rest in peace. To be honest, that's kind of about it. Mm. I just thought it was it was just a tidy little match. I it's not a um it's probably like a Raw or a SmackDown match in truth. But I think you get a great reaction to both of them. I think from the crowd. Undertaker's hair is terrible. Like really, really poor. He works over a body part. We've established. I like, I like a bit of that. I like that. And I'll tell you what else, right? I have done the Abmi in because The Undertaker is in fucking great shape. Oh, another one. <laughs> yeah, he's, he is in fantastic shape, Undertaker. And I can understand what Tommy said about this being his lazy face. I think there is a bit of truth in that, to be honest, the way that he has his matches. But he's not lazy in that gym, is he? Oh, uh, no. I, I think it is. I think his lazy face extends to the character as well. It's just yeah. The Undertaker being The Undertaker. Like the, mm. being Mark Calloway. It's just him being Mark Calloway. Like, oh, I get to ride my bike to the ring and I get to look oh, a little bit ooh. grumpy and I look I get to like be a bit of a bit of a bully to people in the ring, basically. That's that's what that's what I got from it. I don't yeah, it's not at all a period of the Antiques career I, I like. Having said that, I didn't mind this match, I thought it was alright actually. I put that down to Booker T being a dynamic mm. and exciting and athletic performer and somebody who probably given the lack of star power, like you mentioned earlier, old man, that they brought across 
in the WCW purchase should have been made a bigger deal of right from the get-go. Shouldn't probably have been a little bit jobbed out against The Rock over the summer. Not like terribly. I mean, he's The Rock after all. Fair enough to lose to The Rock. But I think the second loss, particularly the month before, where it was him and Shane against The Rock and they still lost, was a little bit damaging. But he did build him back up. But I just think he could. He was ready-made, ready-made headliner for me at this point. Like he'd given the right presentation he'd have no problem being slotting into the main event. He was probably the biggest star with the exception possibly of DDP who came over with the purchase. He had been he'd quite quite a tenured professional wrestler by this point. You know, he'd obviously been in WSW for like seven years prior to it. He'd wrestled in big matches against you know top line wrestlers in WSW for, for a number of years. I, I just think he was all ready to go as a main event guy and they didn't need to define him down as part of this. But of course, there was a lot of egos going on and The Undertaker was probably one of the biggest egos of them all mm. at the time. Mm. The spinner really was quality, wasn't it? Oh, they love it. Of course it was. They love it. So that's pretty much everything that's on the show. There is a, a little bit of backstage between the coach and Chris Jericho, where coach catches up with him. Jericho says it's time to put up or shut the hell up. And tonight he's going to win the big one. Lots of people going to win the title tonight. That was pretty much what I took away from most of the backstage promos here. So we'll do the game in a second. Let's get our overall thoughts and our scores out of 10. Tom, why don't you go first so we can leave old man till as late as possible to give his last opinions on a wrestling show on the random wrestling review for now i i thought this was all right there were some some really good moments and some some very average moments but i didn't think there were any particularly bad moments with the exception of the undertaker versus booker team match for the today really like and the ladder match which we'll show you <laughs> so i i'm garnering this with a seven i think I think this is a, I think that's a fair score for this. My match of the night, I think, is Jericho versus The Rock. It's the one that got me got I got into the most and enjoyed the most. And as I said, my MVP is Vincent Mann's very high waistline. So I I'm also going to go a seven with this because I uh I thought the main event was great. I wasn't quite as high on Jericho Rock, so the main event is my match of the night. But I'll tell you what, right, old uh Testing Keane weren't far off. I think just for the surprise factor, but. The surprise factor doesn't get you. Yeah. But I am going to give Test my MVP. He's going to get the honour of being my last MVP because I think he puts a heck of a shift in in that main event. And overall, this was uh, this was about as good as I thought it was going to be. Cracking main event. Some good stuff underneath. Very, very poor ladder match. But hey, you know what? That's 22 minutes out of the show. I'll take that. Go on, England. For England, James. Fucking right. <laughs> Uh, I'm giving it a clean sweep of sevens with my uh, mm. my rating. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, I <laughs> thought this was a thoroughly decent show. Main event was cracking. Second to last match was very good as well, I thought. Somewhere between the two of you, I think, on, in terms of my thoughts on that one. And there was also some okay stuff in the undercard. I didn't think there was anything massively brilliant on the undercard, but it was all fine, apart from, I would say, the lingerie match, which just didn't really belong but everything else was 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 perfectly fine even even the uh, Booker T Undertaker match and the test versus Kane match so um interesting test has made a MVP two weeks in the last three two of the last three yeah. shows has made um MVP so that's yeah that's impressive yeah. wow fucking lad rest in peace test can I, I just wanted to say as well, I, I feel like we've been remiss in the show as well because there wasn't any real particular standout moment other than the little things that we've mentioned, but the commentary team is brilliant as well. Mm. Heyman and Jim Ross are so perfect 
together. Heyman does all of the things that a great heel color commentator should do, and he acknowledges when the baby faces do something good, yet gives, gives them grudging respect. He defends the heels to the hilt. He doesn't try and always be the winner in the argument, mm. which is what so many people do. It's what fucking JBL and Corey Graves and any number of you know recent heel commentators have done. Like he doesn't try to always prove himself to be smarted when he's outsmarted by Jim Ross or Jim Ross comes back with a witty retort that he can't come back to. He just shuts up. He doesn't just yell over him all the time. You can tell that him and he pushes JR's buttons enough to get the best out of him. And it's just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant commentary team. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. think this was the best example of their work, but they are just, just quality. They're just, they're mm. just a great pairing. I, I got to be honest, I was a little bit disappointed, old man, with your choice of MVP this week, given that I was just reading through some of your past MVPs. I'm not going to do another list like before because I just can't recreate sure. that moment, I'm afraid. But um, my favourite of the ones I'm really reading through here is Jerry Lawler being excited by Jim Ross saying penis. <laughs> <laughs> that was for Armageddon 99, which was an absolutely dreadful show. That was me, you and Stephen, wasn't it? It was indeed. I think that was Stephen's second second episode because I think he thought that you hated him at this point because he'd had an absolute <laughs> rotto beforehand as well, which, which which obviously you do, so it fits. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I did try. I do try and put people through the mill before they can uh, they can graduate to a regular on the show. Fast lane 2017. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> okay, so that is uh, that is the last show, old man that you've needed to cover for this podcast for now. But today's podcast isn't quite over because we do oh. have a, a special game. One last time. Keys in the ball. Not keys in the ball, I'm afraid of, man. I'm, I'm going to have to disappoint you on that particular score. No, what we've got here. So during the time that you've been involved in the podcast, we've done, I said, 89 episodes, which encompasses 675 matches, oh. of which there have been 647 wrestlers involved in those matches so i'm not going to make you guess them all what i'm going to do is you're each going to get 20 goes okay to give me a name of a wrestler but you get more points for the more appearances that we've had of those wrestlers on the show okay so for example you say a wrestler they've been in 10 different matches during the time we've been covering this uh these these shows then you get 10 points okay you're each going to get 20 goes your overall score at the end the one who gets the highest wins simple as that and uh seeing as uh old man is your last episode today why don't you go for it i need to get some paper oh hello paper now this is serious business we haven't we haven't done a game in a long time Oh, how, how convenient that he yeah. used to get paper. He's, he, he's plainly going to check his list that he probably doesn't have because it's Tom. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's not going to. He's not like me. He's not going to be stupid enough to have a, kept a list of every single battery you've ever covered. <laughs> Um, and also done it so that I can count very quickly who <laughs> who's in all of those matches. Excellent. You never know. Excellent. He might have done. You never know. He might have done it, but I doubt it. You imagine if he does, he just put, comes up with a with a, an exercise book. <laughs> <laughs> what an absolute cunt. Right. <laughs> okay, I will go Scott Steiner. Ooh, Scotty Steiner. Yes, that's 16 points to old man. That's how many times we've seen Scott Steiner. Chris Jericho. Top answer, 24 points. Mm, I'll go Rick Steiner. Loves them Steiners. 13 points. 13. He's let the side down. Hulk Hogan. Second top answer, 22 points. I don't know if Old Man understands the concept of this game. (laughs) 
Oh, I don't you worry, mate. I'm playing the long game. I'm going to get consistent points, and you'll be floundering. You'll be going like, oh, has Brian Ballbag been in a match? <laughs> uh, Brian Ballbag is one point. <laughs> uh, I'll go. That's got to be Kane. Eighteen points. The Undertaker. Nineteen points. I'll go. Ooh, big Show. Twenty-one. That's the third top. Twenty-one. Out. See, Tommy, I'm coming for you. Ric Flair. Ric Flair is 16 points. I'll go his arch nemesis, Sting. Sting has had 18 points. Uh, Luger. Lex Luger is 17 points. So that means you've now done each five answers. The score at the moment is Tom 98, Sam 86. I'll go Edge. 16. That was that was my next answer. <laughs> was Edge. Uh, I will go Triple H. 17. I'll go, uh, ooh, this is getting tough. Randy Orton. 18. Ooh. I'll go with Shawn Michaels. 20. That was the top remaining answer available. I will go Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy is 11 points. Brad! Go get him, champ. That is the the now remaining best answer. 19 points for Brad Hart. I'm going to go Brian Nobbs. <laughs> Eight points. Not bad. Oh, no, less than I thought, to be honest. I'm going to go with... Is it the same person or is it the same character? Uh, they, these are... They're only people, so the characters are not separate. So, Mike for example... Mike Rotundo. Mike Rotundo is at 13. He's the number 24 on the list overall. What a fucking lad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll go with the Macho Man. Man, Randy Savage, 12. I will go Bubba Ray Dudley. Hmm. Bubba Ray Dudley, uh, eight for Bubba Ray Dudley, 73rd. Feels like I've watched that cunt loads. <laughs> so we're now halfway. The gap is 24. Tom has 175. Sam has 151. Oh, dear. Still plenty oh. of time. Plenty of time. I'll, I'll go Christian. Christian is 16. Big answer, that one. Yeah, that is a big one, isn't there? Uh, John Cena. Yeah, 17. Oh. Austin. 14. Uh, Brian Danielson was a rubbish answer. It's ten. Come on, this is my chance. He's left that door open. He's left his legs open. <laughs> Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy, thirteen. Yes. I am going to go for Ray Mysterio. That's the remaining top answer. Seventeen. Ray Mysterio. Oh that might that might do me. That might that might be the game. Booker T. Booker T is ten. Batista. Batista is nine. Coming for you. <laughs> um, well, fuck it. Let's go test. <laughs> God. <laughs> this is amazing. I can't believe this. I'm not even sure this is right. 380th on the list with two. <laughs> <laughs> We've literally given him MVP both times he's appeared. <laughs> oh, yeah. what a fucking reshoot that is. Yeah. Um, I will go for Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, that's a good shout. That's a good answer, that. So he's got ten. Uh, Richard Blood. Eight for Steamboat. Uh, okay. Dustin Runnels. Oh, that's a good answer. Dustin, Dustin, Dustin. He had a gold dust, I think. Thirty-six got... on the list. Eleven. So it's mm-hmm. got to be double digits. Uh, Devious Dolph. Devious Dolph. That's a big answer. Fourteen. Oh, uh, come on, the, the comeback's on. Uh, <laughs> the Miz. The Miz. Twelve. Is that seventeen each? 17 each you had. Yeah. Um, 
Jerry Sachs. <laughs> He's desperate to have them fucking nasty boys. Yeah, eight. Um, what's the score, Tinky? The score with. Oh, don't well, take the piss, Tom. Give me one more, and then I'll give you the score. Okay, I will go with Taz. Three. I think it's like three matches, yeah. Three. Yeah. And I'll go RVD. Hang on, before you do that, the scores. So 18, oh, yeah, 18 goes each. 264 to 236. Now, Rob Van Dam. Yeah. Six. Six? Fuck off, mm-hmm. he lies. Will this be a complete whitewash? Or will my hubris get the better of me when I come up with Simon Dean? <laughs> Two. Oh, God, Simon Dean. Bubba Ray Dudley. Oh, no, sorry, I'm Devon. Uh, Devon is eight. We I'm are next. on the last... Oh, that was your last one, Tom. Uh, old man. What? My last one? Oh, in that case, fuck that. Valvinus. <laughs> uh, two. Yeah. And my one is going to be the mighty Sylvain Grognier. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, Grognier. I reckon three. What did you reckon, Tom? One. Two. Oh, ah, spread down the middle. That's the real quiz. Yeah. <laughs> so the score was Tom 268, Old Man 244. The final game has ended and it's all over. Well done, well done, Tom. That's a great, it's a great game. Great. Game. I wasn't sure. Did you understand the rules at the beginning, Old Man? I did understand the rules. What I was doing is I was trying to play the long game because I didn't anticipate the high answers being quite as high as they were, to be <laughs> honest. I thought when I said Scott Steiner 16, I thought, oh, cool. There's going to be like people around three around that. That will be the top. There's going to be some come with about 58. It, it does. It, it kind of tails off very slowly after Scott Steiner. So the top five Jericho with 24, Hogan with 22, Big Show with 21, Shawn Michaels with 20. And then you've got Bret Hart and Undertaker with 19 each. And then after that, it drops to 16 quite quickly. But after that, it doesn't keep dropping very quickly. Mm-hmm. And there are loads on 10, 9, 8, 7, etc. Mm-hmm. So that was where your tactics went wrong. Who have we got uh, the ones? Who are the ones? Oh, there are loads. Absolutely really. tons of them. So like there are, I'll tell you how many there are. I'm not going to tell you who they are. But there are 266 Oh, God. Yeah, there are loads. <laughs> there are loads and loads of wrestlers. Just... Random Rumble appearances and stuff like that. Absolutely. You've got to Battle Royals, yeah. some tag matches, Survivor Series, etc. Um, who was who in position 316? It is Kyle O'Reilly. Ah, oh, that's disappointing. Who were you hoping for? Oh, just someone funny, really. Sorry about that. I could have made it up, I suppose. But let's see, if he's, if he, how, many, how many appearances is that? Two? Yeah. So how many matches have you had with Eugene? One. Ah, oh, all right. Anyway, that's enough of that, bollocks. Uh, It's time to bring down the end of this show. (sighs) The the final few moments of Old Man on the Random Wrestling Review. So I guess, Old Man, uh, I should thank you for joining me, not just today, but for the last 20 months, 22 months, Mm -hmm. in fact, on this podcast for 90, no, 83 episodes. No, 82. 82, apologies. Yeah, existed number two. Thank you, Tinky. Thank you to Tom. Thank you to Matt. Thank you to Stephen. Thank you to James. Thank you to Gavin. Thank you to everyone who listens. Keep listening. I'll be listening. Go fuck yourselves. Great review and remember Ken Patera. That's it. With a tear in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg. Now, <laughs> no, no, genuinely, thank you very much. It's been a fucking blast. I kind of wish I could continue, but I can feel my stress levels rising. And I know that it's in safe hands with you guys covering your little WrestleManias. And I'll be listening every fortnight with me, with me dick in me hand. 
<laughs> and Tom, thank you for your contributions as well today. I was gonna um I was gonna try to say something prophetic, you know, real like intense and serious. Then and then I decided I just uh I was gonna sing End of the Road by Boys to Men. <laughs> and then I decided to not do anything. But one thing we need to do is we need to fucking check up on Rockstar and see how he's doing. Because yeah. I don't know how he's gonna take this news. The, yeah. the streets of Bolton aren't gonna know what I hear. <laughs> This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We will be posting the WrestleMania 1 episode that we did a little while back uh, next Sunday. And then in two weeks, we will have our first new content of the new era with WrestleMania 2. But until then, take care. And I-